Real short segment. Just want to say this. Welcome to Pinder and Steinberg. Hopefully you enjoyed the Be Brave game from the Scotiabank Saddledome. Nice win for the Calgary Hitmen. It's a Flames game day. Calgary and the Nashville Predators. I'll give you the rundown on what to expect tonight. And then uh, when Pinder and Steinberg gets going in earnest, lots to talk about. Huge game in the Western Conference playoff race. Mark Giordano, game time decision for a second consecutive day. However, if you hear the way that Giordano is speaking about returning to this game or, or talking about this game and where he's at, it would be an absolute stunner if he doesn't play. Now, I know he said something along the same lines two days ago in Boston, and he didn't play, but he also said two days ago that if he doesn't play tonight, he'll play the next game. So I've been my, my target all along was Nashville for his return. I think it's going to be Nashville when he gets back. So here's what you can expect tonight. David Riddick gets the start in net. UC Sorrows for Nashville. Monahan between Gaudreau and Lindholm. Backlund with Manjapani and Kachuk. Ryan still between Lucic and Dubé. Jankowski with Bennett and Reeder on the back. Jordano Brody. Hannafin Anderson. Forbert Gustafson. I mean, really, no need to make any changes if you don't have to. Yeah, obviously you'll make the change to get your captain back in, but otherwise, why make any other changes with the way the Flames played? against the Boston Bruins two nights ago. So lots to talk about for this game tonight. It is a 6 o'clock face-off, 5 o'clock warm-up right here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg is underway. Pinder joins in in just minutes. The Sportsnet 960 old-school playoff pool is back April 6th at the Palace, all in support of Kids Sport Calgary. Get your team of eight together. Go to sportsnet.ca slash 960 to register. Limited spots, and this thing is a party. It's a lot of fun to be a part of. If you think you know hockey, prove it by winning our old school playoff pool, which is April 6th at the Palace. Brought to you by Wild Rose Brewery, brewing quality craft beer in Calgary that fuels the hardworking Albertan. Wild Rose Brewery, branded with character. Pinder and Steinberg gets going for real in about five minutes. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Let's do this. Absolutely huge game in the Western Conference playoff race tonight. Could be an absolutely massive swing for either team with a regulation win, too. And in the end, like, does where you sit on February 27th or 28th matter when it's all said and done? Yes, it's the February 27th President's Trophy that uh, could be on the line. The February 27th playoffs? like February 27th first wild card in the West Trophy. Doesn't really matter, and who you're ahead of and behind on February 27th is all nice to talk about, but really, the body of work and what you do down the stretch and... Taking care of your own business is really the only thing that matters. But final game between Calgary and Nashville. Regulation win either way could be a massive swing. For the Flames, a win tonight. Four points up with two games in hand. Or rather, with two games more played, rather. If so you force them win, to have to win their games in exactly. hand just to hang with you, which ain't easy. And then from a Predators standpoint, you win in regulation, even points with two games in hand. Now you're really in the driver's seat when it comes to being in a better spot for the Flames. So huge swing potential at Bridgestone Arena in Nashville tonight. As is usually the case, I don't know if we know what to expect from the Calgary Flames tonight. I'm, no, um, I'm not there you know yet, what? Pat. Not there yet. We're getting closer to an identity with this group, but we're not there yet. You got to see it. Night after night, not just, ah, we feel like we're going to go tonight. But ah, do we, we didn't have feel like any idea tonight. what to expect from the Predators either? Because I, no, nope. this has been. They've been better of late, but it's still so the Flames, but you're similar like, storyline of the Flames, isn't it? And you're kind of like, I've, I have not been watching the Predators as closely as I watch the Flames, of course. How but dare I've, you? I've been paying a ton of attention to this Nashville season because I find it fascinating. And 
They, they've been as confounding a team as the Flames have been. Yep. You know, there may not be as as much high end talent in Nashville that exists in Calgary, but there's probably you can make the argument that maybe a little bit more depth with the Predators if you were to spread it out. So they're a team that had high expectations. They're a team that was disappointed to go out in the first round. They're also a team that has won a lot of division titles in recent years. Yet they can't figure out this consistency thing either. They yeah. can't seem to put together an identity and you're surprised when they don't play well themselves. So I, I have no idea what to expect from either team tonight. I really don't. Points at 6-7 for the Preds. You mentioned a deeper lineup, a little more spread out lineup. Uh, that's exactly what they've done under John Hines, which is really curious. Uh, who would the most talented three forwards be on this team if you had to close your uh, eyes and think about Predators hockey when guys are going, how dynamic they can be? I'd probably give you four. Okay. Arvidsson, Forsberg, Johansson, Duchesne. Okay. Well, all of those guys are on different lines. All four of them. Except Duchesne and Arvidsson. They're on the same line. And if you went Turris or Smith, who kind of gets, you know, the... Your last name is Smith routine. He, he feels anonymous for a guy that's actually had a pretty decent career. Those guys are on several lines. Forsberg's playing with Benino and Granlin, Arvidsson with Duchesne and Yarncroc, and Johansson with Blackwell and Sissons. Those those three guys have played together a ton over the last, well, since Johansson got to, to Nashville. Forsberg, Johansson, Arvidsson has been a long staple top line, but they've been broken up this year, and it's probably because it wasn't working, not unlike what we saw with 13, 23, and 28 here earlier this year. They said, okay, if we've got all our eggs in this basket and we're not even getting offense out of this basket, we're breaking it up. We're taking the eggs, putting them in different baskets. I'm out of egg basket analogies. Pat, take over, please. It's Easter soon. Do you do an Easter egg hunt for the boys? Uh, Can I come and do it with them? That feels what we call in the house a pink task. That would be something mom's very excited to do. Jody, if I could come and partake in the Easter egg hunt with your children, I, I, I You'd be invited, but I think here's what's going to happen. You would be like, oh, yeah, Pat's going to come. And then you'd be like, yeah, I don't know. I, I really don't know if I should come. And then... They'd be like, oh, I got you know, I got to write this article for <laughs> XFL.com. If, if there are Easter eggs involved, I will be there. I don't care. CF, really? CFL.ca, you could beat it. I got Easter eggs. Okay. Well, okay, sure. I got to host this web chat on the Roughnecks website. I don't know. But you're always busy. But you're welcome at the house anytime, Pat. I want you to know that. Did you? Uh, w- would there be a more anonymous perennial twenty-goal scorer in the league than Craig Smith? This is my point, and if and maybe if his last name wasn't Smith, we, we, how many times do you think he scored at twenty in a season? Well, how old is he? He is thirty. Because I feel like he's been in the league a long time. He's probably got what nine years in the league, something like that. Like uh, in terms of full seasons, when did he make his debut? What yeah, year? this is the ninth full year. Like for that's him. and nice, it's nice just estimate. like oh yeah, that's is a guy. He but scored no, it's, in, in his last, so he'll get so twenty. Nine he'll probably seasons, get to twenty again this year. five. He's got five and soon to be six. Jeez. And yeah. We just talked about Monaghan doing seven in a row, which yes, is good. And, and Monaghan feels like a star. And then there's oh, Craig Smith. Craig yeah. Smith is going to get 20 goals in six of seven seasons. Six <laughs> of the last seven, he'll be a 20-goal scorer uh, in this league. Like, and it's not hard. I mean, it's not easy to be a 20-goal no, scorer and, perennially in this league. It's not either. Like, he's Anson Carter playing with you know two elite players and just tapping them in. He's not going Zach Cassian career year playing with 97. This is a totally different story. He's 13 goals he's now. been on a hard-working line. going to fight? me i got 13 is that you know, game you know suspended why, this year you know why or is Matthew that goals Kachuk didn't want to fight you because he didn't want you to get he didn't want you to take your skate off and cut him that's why no because he wanted his team to go on the power play and win the game so you know checkmate um 
It's a big game tonight, and I'm really interested to see what both teams bring. Last time these two teams met at Bridgestone was that crazy comeback that you talked to a lot game. of people in Nashville that altered the season for the Really? Predators. So that you was the beginning to, of the unraveling. You take a look at their record following that loss, how well they were playing prior to October 31st, yep. and how much they struggled following October 31st. They lost seven of their next eight, Pat. Yeah. Including that night, eight of nine. A lot of people pointed to that as, as kind of what started the downward spiral for the Preds, that they're only really starting to get out of now. Here we are in February. So that's the last time these two teams met. It was a bonkers game. And somehow the flame, it didn't turn into a turning point really for the Flames, but it turned into a massive turning point for the Nashville Predators in a big, big way. So, you know, it's, it's interesting to see. Last time these two teams met was a pretty impressive 3-2 victory for the Preds over the Flames at the Scotiabank Saddledome. So rubber match between these two. Preds open up a three nothing lead. Flames came back and uh, were able to get it within two, uh, get it within one rather. But they ended up losing that game with a pretty Before inspired they third period. They, had, they had no shots in the first twelve minutes of the third period, if you remember, in a one goal game. Inspiring stuff. <laughs> Apparently, you don't remember. No, I that. Uh, I'm trying to figure where the Flames are. I've got the Preds schedule up, which doesn't help me give you a context, but it doesn't late, matter. Late January, early February. Yeah, no, I, I saw the date. Uh, here's what's interesting: they went on that skid after the Flames beat them in Music City with that incredible rally and the Chuck Tweener in overtime. Uh, it did still take them from that losing eight of nine another month and a half before they finally fired Peter Laviolette. Uh, it was another four out of five that spanned from the end of the Christmas, uh, coming out of the Christmas break into a loss Sunday in Anaheim, and that was it. Wasn't really uh, expecting a John Hines so quick re- resurrection in the NHL after his start in Jersey, but uh, he's finally got them at least playing something closer to the hockey that that fan base has come to expect. And that's the thing that, that, that really is different with Nashville versus some other teams that have struggled is that you look at their year-over-year results. Like, what was it, three seasons ago? They are in the Stanley Cup Final. Yep. Then they lose to Winnipeg in round two, and you're like, well, man, that could have gone either way. That was close. That was the Vegas year. And then last year, they win the division, and they lose in round one. And it's like, the fan base was ready. Like, you get to the Cup Finals, like, okay, well, next year's probably maybe our year, and, you know, this is a window to compete. And all of a sudden, you're fighting just to get in a playoff spot at this juncture here after – not winning a series last year, and you're thinking, is this is something closing here? Is this bad luck? Like, they're not an old team. They're but not for, a young team, but they're not an no, old team. No, but it's not like watching, who would a good example be of a team that, like, it's not like watching Minnesota, really. Yeah, you know, there's just a lot of, their best players are long in the tooth, and they're stuck with them, and, you know, it's it's the end of an era, and they'll, they'll, they'll fade slowly into, into the sunset. That's not really the makeup of this group. Their best players are all theoretically in their prime. In their prime Forsberg, yep. Duchesne. Johansson, Arvidsson, Yossi, Ellis, Ekholm. You know, Fabro's established himself as a top four guy. Are, is it is it just the same as what we've seen with every coaching change that's on ice related this year, that there wasn't enough saves? Well, they hadn't got a lot of saves prior to the last month or so. And they've so. settled on Saros. He'll get his third straight start tonight against Riddick, who's also getting his third straight start. That's your goaltending matchup in Nashville tonight. Saros has pulled himself back into the respectable conversation when it comes to his statistics. And that'll be 9 of 12 for Saros. That might be his now, best Riddick run in Now, Riddick was a little injury. banged up as part of that, but I think Great. that they, Doesn't matter. I think yeah. that they've settled for now. 
I don't think that he has solidified this and turned it into no, but his job. It feels but like an Arundel thing in, in in San Jose. It's like if the other guy, whether it's health or performance, you get you got two for a reason, and you you do like the young guy, the smaller guy. Uh, you got to ride a hot goalie at this point. There there is no playing the vet when you are in the spot the Predators are in, which is absolutely fighting for their playoff lives. Yeah. Just like if Cam Talbot. Gets on a heater, they'll ride him. The only problem with that is every time it feels like Talbot's close to grabbing that thing, it's gone. And it's not a great start. It's not a great performance. Um, whereas Saros has managed to wrangle this thing away for the time being, so you ride him until Rene's got a, a shot to pull it back. There, and, and, and the Rene thing's interesting because you, know, you take a look at his numbers from last year and how much they have dropped to this year. And he's, again, much like... Saros, he's been able to pull himself back into a little bit more of a respectable conversation, but he went from, take a look at his numbers the last three years, 918, 927, 918. This year he was flirting with 880 for a little while. He's back to 900, but this has been a significant drop for Pekka Rinning in terms of his statistics. And 37. They went from being, I believe, the number five team in the NHL last year for overall save percentage to the number 27 team. I know for sure they're 27, and they were five or six last year. So they go from being a top five goaltending team yeah. to a bottom five goaltending team. Like, yeah, that's going to that's gonna really start to mess with your consistency if you have a swing like that in net. Yeah, no, it's true. And I guess who could see it coming except that, well, he's just in that age where you expect it's just going to stop working as well as it was before when he'll turn 38 in November next year. That's the last year of his deal, making 5 million bucks. I believe it was a two-year extension that he signed mid-season last year as he was set to become a UFA. And it's the same timeline as Saros's deal expiring. The difference being Saros is 13 years younger and he's an RFA with Arbright's in the summer of 2021, not a UFA who will be turning 39 yep. in the fall. So it's it, this is a matter of time before it's Saros's crease, or if he's not going to play well enough for the next 14 months, uh, maybe it's time to go find another netminder, which is a weird market right now. Twitter uh, superstar uh, Twitter superstar Brent Cron has been advocating wow, that for quick, a eh? couple of years, well, as, it, as it should. That man's a bona fide superstar, but he's been advocating for a couple of years. Uh, just to clarify, nothing to do with on-ice performance, the superstar part, because no. he, he couldn't have accomplished less given a, his draft status. He was a Western yeah. Hockey League superstar. Even though he could only push one way. Yeah. He was an American League um, player. Yeah. I believe he made an AHL All-Star game. Uh, I mean... Okay, but I'm gonna go Wikipedia Brent Cron right now. Just did they have some sort of a food eating competition at Center Ice as one of the events in the skills competition? Fruit with you, such low hanging fruit. I'm telling you, I'd put money on him. I mean, Ed Ward went to an NHL All Star weekend. Does that mean Ed Ward's an All Star? I'm just wondering if there was a loophole he got in by. They really aren't All Star numbers if you look at them, are they? Go scroll through his AHL numbers. It's like he definitely was in that league. But he, he had he had a year where he was nine twenty three. Had a year at nine twenty four. That surprises me. A uh, year at uh, nine seventeen. Okay, we'll call him an all star then. Fine. I don't think he ever made Fine. an all star game though. Uh, Brent Cron enjoyed a very. This is his Wikipedia bio. Bio. Brent Cron <laughs> enjoyed a very successful junior hockey career with the WHL's Calgary Hitmen before being drafted in the first round by Calgary in the two thousand NHL entry draft. A highly regarded prospect at the time, he was the second goaltender selected in the draft after Rick <laughs> DiPietro, who was selected first overall. He subsequently spent time in the American Hockey League with the San Antonio Rampage, Lowell Lock Monsters, Omaha Axarben Knights, and the Quad Ugh. City Flames. A recurring knee injury seriously hampered his development at the professional level, and Kron is now widely regarded as a draft bust. Ouch. 
following the 07-08 NHL season and after eight years of development in the Flames organization, the team made the decision to not re-sign Cron, and he became an unrestricted free agent. He was signed by Dallas on September 24, 2008. Beginning the season with the... Uh, there's nothing really more interesting. Well, I think he played uh, Texas Stars. It's the only team I missed and that I didn't hear you say. Um, but that would have been after signing with Dallas, obviously. They would yes. have sent him down, so that makes sense. I think of him in... Like, that's pretty good life if you get some time in San Antonio and Austin, if you're in the A. I just love that. Because there's some his, dumps in that league. On his uh, Wikipedia page, is now widely regarded as a draft bust. Well, and his Twitter bio, I think, is uh, the exact same. Give him credit. He's owned it. He's not hiding from it. Well, if there's anybody it's who, his calling card. If there's anybody who owns things better on the planet than Brent Cron, I don't know if I can find it. First round bust of the Calgary Flames, dot, 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 turned overnight Twitter sensation. That is his bio on Twitter. Good luck trying to figure out his handle. Just put Brent Cron in. Brent Cron, B Cron 03 Cron or whatever it is. B Cron 3 Cron, which is probably a Cron password and that he thought that was a <laughs> password field. So if anyone works with Cron, please get him to change his password before the entire universe has access to everything he has with Bcron 3 cron What are these websites that Brent Cron has surfed to of late? That's also something not for air. Yeah, I don't Yikes. want I don't want to I know what websites he frequents, I don't want to tell you. Um Oilers lose last night 3 nothing to Vegas. Is it naturalstatric.com? It's not naturalstatric. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey Croner, what are you doing here? Yes. <laughs> Uh, 3-0 Oilers lost to Vegas last night. Good game. They actually played really well early. Post helped Marc-Andre Fleury. And then for the final 40 minutes, the Knights just went into a posture of like, okay, try to fight through the trap. Good luck, boys. Seven straight wins for Vegas. They've opened up a fairly significant gap now in the Pacific Division. There's to lose. This is, is this finally the Vegas Golden Knights that we all expected them to be? And well, the, and this is less of a thing about Edmonton and, you know, Calgary's got an opportunity to move past the Oilers tonight in the Pacific Division standings and all that type of, and, and, or at least uh, move into a tie, tie with them, which again, I, that stuff doesn't matter as much for me. It's Games more, played aren't even, so it's just a little exactly. too silly to worry about exactly where you are points wise rather than playing Vegas well, collecting team. points. Yeah, Vegas, Vegas is the team that really they're the team to beat. Me. And, Seven and, in a row, eight, one and one in their last 10. And this is the group that a lot of people pointed to and you looked at Stone and Pacioretty mm-hmm. and up and down this lineup. They go and get Laner. They go and get Martinez. That's big for them. The the two additions they made not only help them with their deficiencies this season, but they add a layer of depth because they didn't subtract roster guys to go do that. Except and, Subban, but they upgraded oh, please, by going yeah, like, from Subban to if you, Yeah, like you, you put Leonard in and take out Subban, that's not losing depth. That's adding depth by a degree of 10. You've got two number ones in the NHL now that you can bounce back and forth. And it looked like last year in that playoff series, Marc-Andre Fleury uh, was getting worn down. There's so much hockey last year. How many starts did he have last year? I want to say around like 65 to 70. He was right near the top of the league. He, I don't know that anyone played more minutes than him. It was so crazy. This year, leading the way for starts in the NHL is Carey Price at 54. Marc-Andre Fleury's at 45 this year. He's also been nicked up a bit. He they has they been. missed Last some time year, Fleury finished with 61 starts. That's they did. They eased off his workload a little bit last year as it became clear they were going to finish third. Like once they, because remember last right. year it became a two horse race for the Pacific, Calgary and San Jose. We were in LA when it, that that the Flames won there, and that was it. It was just like curtains. Like okay, well it's over now. Well, and the Flames were kind of in control for the final. They month. were the Sharks, and that was like the hanging nail. around. Yeah, but that game in San Jose was the nail. But Vegas had come to the like. 
they'd come to the conclusion quite some time ago, like probably right around early February. They're like, yeah, we're probably going to finish third in this division. Get, get some rest for our number so one. So we're going to start to ease back on Fleury's And workload. he still finished right near the top of the pile in the NHL. He was on pace at one point for around 70 yep. starts. That's like Mika Kiprasov territory. We don't see that in this league anymore. Well, that's, that's your name's Cam Talbot. Not so stuff. Well, you shouldn't see it in this league anymore. It's probably how we should started 72 better. that year the Oilers made the playoffs. Boy, I wish I knew who was responsible for that, those kinds of decisions to put people in that spot. I mean... Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have got there without him. He was like I. I think he should have been a Vesna Trophy finalist that year. I really do. So you're talking about the year that went to the playoffs? Yeah, yeah. Crazy. This year, uh, this year the leader's 54 for Price, so he'll probably finish in the 65. So either range. way, you, you have a tandem, and now you can do whatever you want in terms of form, rest. You can still chase. Who starts night one? Well, we haven't seen Leonard play for them yet, know, so that's going to be a big part of it. Just, I, you can't know. Say? You can't know now. But at this point, it's like, Flurry's to lose. A, I think there's a real because Flurry has not been incredible this year. No, but he, he's rounded into form as this team has as well. Like Flurry's at nine oh eight. He has started to play better. It just late. hung a zero last night in a battle for top spot in the Pacific. Like he's, it's not going to be the full season body of work that they're measuring there. It's where's Flurry's game at, and how has Leonard looked in this new environment that he hasn't played in before? And we we don't have, we can't in make terms that decision. Of somewhat now. regular goalies like. Laner's top five in saves. hundred percent. Yeah. Rask, Merzlikens, Bishop, Ranta, Laner. And you know what it allows them to do? If you're in a series and something goes sideways, is that not just a massive total change and potential momentum swing your direction when you can drop in a top five or a Hall of Fame bound netminder in terms of whoever's not in and you can switch that? Fascinated to see what they do down the stretch. They, they, were, they weren't doing that last year. If, if well, Marco didn't Duf- have the opportunity no. to. Well, and it's look, if you, if you get into trouble against San Jose Sharks, it's not like you're going to put Malcolm Subban in. It's flurry. Yep. But it's closer to what we saw now in Pittsburgh, where for two years they went back and forth between Murray and Flurry and who was in better form and when they needed a guy. And uh, they both got rings twice out of that scenario. I don't think Marc Andre Flurry was anything but pleased when that deal went through. Because he knows a tandem can work, and he's certainly seen situations where if they didn't have a tandem, they wouldn't have got the jewelry they own. We are back on location today for our citywide 50-50 with Kidsport Calgary. Let me tell you, you are running out of opportunities to win $20,000. Do you want to win $20,000? Would you like to have $20,000 into your bank account in the snap of a finger for doing almost nothing other than buying a 50-50 ticket? I like it. Get to OPA right out by COP today from 3 until 7 o'clock. We'll be live on location out there, 8435 Beaufort Road, Northwest. Once again, 8435 Beaufort Road, Northwest. It's your next opportunity to purchase 50-50 tickets for Kids Sport Calgary. Get there today. We're on location starting at the top of the hour. The draw is coming up one week from tomorrow. March 6th is the draw, and uh, we're doing one big final push, a huge push, one week from today we'll tell you more about that next week but you still have opportunities but you're running out of them so if you're up and around clp today if you're in the northwest stop in at opa Beauford road for another opportunity to win twenty thousand guaranteed dollars this is pinder and steinberg on a game day sportsnet 960 the fan Pinder and Steinberg, brought to you by Glenmore Audi. Experience the all-new Audi Q8, the perfect combination of luxury and technology, with endless possibilities to tailor to your needs and tastes. Visit GlenmoreAudi.com. I enjoy 
helping you win money going into the weekend. That's why we bring in Ian McMillan from Odd Shark every Thursday afternoon. He joins us on the program right now, an hour later, because we're uh, pushed back. We had the Hitman and the Ice for you a little bit earlier. So Ian McMillan joins us right now from OddShark.net. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, Pat. How are you doing? I'm good, man. And when you sent me off the topics today, I was like, Let's do it. Spring training has begun. We're getting scores from the Blue Jays and Dunedin, Florida. Like, yes, baseball is upon us. Now, I know we're still eight months away from the World Series, but you've got some early World Series odds for us. I, uh, I want to know what Ian has, uh, what's kicking around your brain in terms of some of those early World Series odds. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and you said it. I mean, spring training is here. Baseball, the regular season is right around the corner. And uh, just so you know, I mean, people can bet on spring training games as well in the MLB. I would never recommend it because who knows who, who who's playing in those lineups. But you could, in theory, bet on spring training. Um, but, yes, World Series odds, those are out. There are two teams that's probably not surprising to most people. There are two teams that are kind of completely separated from the pack as far as World Series odds. That's the Yankees. Uh, from the American League, they're at plus 350. The Dodgers right behind them from the National League at plus 375. Um, to be completely honest, if you ever are going to bet on the Yankees, it might be a good idea to do a preseason because if they do have as good of a season as people expect them to have, their odds are probably only going to get shorter as the season goes along. Um, now, what is a little bit interesting is, is of course, the big uh, story going into this MLB season is the Houston Astros um, with the whole cheating controversy they were right up there with the yankees and the dodgers there right before the whole cheating scandal broke since that broke they have dropped down to seven to one uh but i mean let's not forget this is still the houston astros whether or not they got caught cheating or not they are still the houston astros it is a very talented squad so as much as everyone including myself would hate to see the astros win the world series after all this cheating scandal is coming out about them uh to get them at seven to one right now is pretty good odds um, but of course, the, the team that most people want to know about right now is the Toronto Blue Jays. I'm sorry to tell our fellow Canadians that <laughs> this is probably not going to be the Toronto Blue Jays year. I mean, I mean, hey, the Blue Jays have a very good young squad, but they're pretty close to the bottom on the odds list to win the World Series right now at 90 to one. Don't bet on the Blue Jays to, world, to win the World Series. It's not going to happen this year. I mean, I like their chances within the next couple of years once uh, uh, Bo Bichette, Vlad Guerrero get a little bit older, get a little bit more experience. But uh, this is not going to be the Blue Jays year. So 90 to 1 for the Blue Jays. Where I think there is some value, um, kind of my, my, my National League team, the, cheer, the team that I cheer for in the National League is the Atlanta Braves. You can get them at 14 to 1. Uh, they have a very good squad, very good offense, a good young pitch, uh, pitching core with uh, Mike Soroka, the Canadian. He's kind of leading that young pitching the core. Calgarian. So 14 to 1. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, I think, I think the Braves have a, have a little bit of uh, value there, 14 to 1. Um, so that's on the World Series front of things, but why why not delve a little bit deeper into some of the divisional odds in the majors as well? Yeah, so it's surprising before the season has even started, uh, the majority of the divisions actually have huge favorites in them. It makes sense. The Yankees minus 500 in the AL East. Uh, the Dodgers, of course, are minus 900 already ready to win the National League West, which I, I think is a little bit surprising. I think the Arizona Diamondbacks, uh, could pull off winning that division. You can get them at plus 850. Uh, the two most interesting divisions to look at as far as looking at the odds are the NL Central and the NL East. So the NL Central is basically completely up for grabs except for 
the Pirates, they're they're at forty five to one, but the Cardinals plus two fifteen, the Brewers plus three hundred, the Cubs plus two fifty, and the Reds plus two sixty five. I actually think the Brewers have a lot of value um, in that spot there. Christian Yelich. Uh, he was on an MVP run there last year until he got hurt. I mean, he's one of the very best uh, players in the majors right now. So uh, I think the Brewers have some value there. And then the NL East, that's close as well between the Braves, Nationals, Mets, and Phillies. Of course, the Marlins are never going to win that division this year. But uh, just like I like the Braves for the World Series, I like the Braves to win the NL East. It is kind of surprising to see the defending World Series champion, the Washington Nationals, at plus 250. They're not even the favorite to win their division this year. But the Nationals... I've I lost money betting against the Nationals in the playoffs last year because their bullpen is so, so bad. So I think that's why they aren't the favorite to win their division. It's hard to have um, to win a division throughout the regular season if you don't have a very good bullpen. And I think they were actually dead last in uh, bullpen ERA last year. So they're going to have to sharpen up their bullpen a little bit. So uh, NL East and NL Central are definitely the two divisions to watch this year, and I think you can get some value in both of those. Not really, and you're right. I mean, you talked about it with the World Series. Not a whole lot of value with the Blue Jays winning the World Series or the Blue Jays winning the AL East. I don't think that that really makes it kind of like you're throwing your money away. But yeah. where you could go is projected win totals for the Blue Jays. What do you got there? Yeah, definitely. If you are going to put a futures bet on the Toronto Blue Jays, that is the way to go. So right now their win total is at 75 and a half wins, um, which is kind of interesting. They won 67 games last year. So the odds makers are projecting them to win around seven to eight more games this upcoming season. I think that's a very sharp line, to be honest. Like I mentioned, it's a very good young team. Uh, I do think they are going to get better uh, with Vlad Guerrero, Bo Bichette, um, Ray and GU with the, the new pitcher that, uh, that they got this off season. I think they are going to be better. Are they going to be able to pass that um, 75 and a half mark? Ugh, I think that's tough. If I had to bet on it, I think I would go under. I think they are going to improve on last season's uh, win total of 67, but that 75 and a half mark is a little bit too long for me. Um, obviously, as a Blue Jays fan, I hope they go over it. Uh, but if I had to lay my money down, I think I'd, I think I'd have to take the under on that 75 and a half number. Yeah, and most places you're getting more value if you take the under on that 75. Yeah. So uh, you might be able to uh, you might be able to come away with a little bit more cash when it's all said and done. Ian McMillan's with us from Odd Shark. That's the baseball story when we talk about futures. Let's get to the now. Let's uh, tap into your college basketball brain. Uh, even if you don't follow as much as Ian does, uh, he might be able to win you some money tonight. What do you got on the college basketball slate? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we talked about this last week. I absolutely love betting on college basketball. I think it's one of the funnest sports to bet on. The big game tonight, if you're gonna if you're gonna tune in some college basketball, if you want to look to try to win some money, the big game tonight's gonna be in the Big Ten between Purdue and Indiana. Purdue's at home; they're a six-point favorite. I love Purdue to win this game tonight. Um, the biggest story about that game is just their home and away splits. Indiana scoring 17.3 fewer points on the road compared to at home. Purdue scoring 16 more points at home compared to on the road, which is an absolutely insane difference between uh, home and away splits there. So I think Purdue is going to be able to cover that spread at home tonight, that six-point spread to Indiana. But the best place where you can find value in college basketball I may not necessarily recommend watching some of these games, but if you're just looking to, to play some bets and win some money, it's always the smaller conferences because less people are betting on those games. So the sports books are setting those lines a little bit less sharp. There's some more value on them. Uh, so I'll just quickly give out the other games I'm on tonight in the smaller conferences. I like Florida International plus 
five versus North Texas. North Texas isn't great on the road. They're giving Florida International too many points there. Uh, Towson, I got them to cover plus seven and a half versus Hofstra. Uh, if you remember on the show last week, I picked Hofstra to cover, and they did cover for us. Um, I'm going against them today. I think it's too many points. Hofstra has the second best against the spread record in college basketball. But a lot of the times what will happen is people will be, will be afraid to bet on teams that have a good record against the spread. But as the season goes on, you start to see a little bit of a regression towards the mean. Um, what that means is basically, I mean, a team's not going to be a top two team in the country out of 350 teams against the spread. They're going to start losing against the spread at some point in time. So tonight's, I think, is a good time to fade Hofstra. I'm on Towson there tonight. Um, and then if you're looking for a play on the total, my favorite play on the total tonight is going to be between St. Peter's and Niagara. Uh, the total right now is set at 130 and a half. I like the under on that. Um, both teams play very slow pace of play. Um, their offenses are bad, but their defenses are good, which is something that you always want to look for when betting on an under in college basketball. So St. Peter's and Niagara under 130 and a half. Uh, going to be my best total play for college basketball tonight. You're, you're a savant, my friend. i got to be honest with you. I don't even, <laughs> I don't even know where St. Peter's is. I, I would, I would, <laughs> to probably... be honest, I don't think I do either. I know Niagara is obviously close to the border uh, with us here in Canada, but I have no idea where St. Peter's is. <laughs> well, I'm going to look that up at some point before we finish here today. Um, and just a thought, I was going through, I was shopping around over at Odd Shark, just taking a look at some of the, the various odds on the NHL slate tonight. What jumps off the page to you on a busy Thursday in the NHL? NHL. The biggest game that jumps out to me is the Rangers. They are underdogs tonight in Montreal. The New York Rangers have quietly been one of the hottest teams in the NHL recently. They're eight and two um, in their last ten games. I believe they're the, they're the second most profitable team uh, this season because of this recent surge that, that they've been on. They're underdogs in almost every single game that they've played in. It doesn't seem like the sports books are adjusting to how hot they've been playing recently. Um, so you can get them as a plus 105 underdog in, uh, in Montreal tonight. Of course, the big story recently is the Toronto Maple Leafs. They lose to a Zamboni driver, and as a Leafs fan, I've never been more embarrassed since the 4-1 uh, loss to the Bruins, or after, losing to the Bruins in Game 7 after being up 4-1. That's the most embarrassing moment as a Leafs fan, and now them losing to a Zamboni driver is the second most embarrassing. But then we go and beat Tampa, the Lightning, in Tampa a couple days later. So that makes no sense. They're a slight favorite in Florida against the Panthers tonight. Huge game as far as playoff implications go. I don't, I can't trust the Leafs, especially with Jake Muzzin out now. Their defense is an absolute shambles. So I do kind of like the Florida Panthers to beat my Maple Leafs tonight as a slight underdog at home. Uh, and then, of course, the other game is uh, the other big game is the Flames. The Flames plus one ten in Nashville tonight. That's a little bit of a tough call. I, I do kind of like the Flames. They are six and four in their last ten games. I, I, it's hard for me to kind of get a feel for the Flames. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit interested in your opinion, actually, uh, on the Flames, Pat, because, of course, you pay attention to them more than anyone else I know. What do you think about the Flames? They've been kind of they're a hard team to kind of get a feel for. The hardest. Like, it's been an absolute uh, guessing game all year long. I like the value in this game, basically, as uh, even money, uh, plus 100. Like, I like them in this game because they are playing a little bit better. They're coming off a big win over Boston. And, you know, the thing that I like about this game is that I don't know what to expect from the Flames on any given night, and that also includes tonight. But the same is true with Nashville. They've been as inconsistent and confounding as the Flames have been this year. So I like the value on the Flames better than I'd like on the Predators. So if you're going to be betting on this one tonight, I'd take the Flames plus 100 before I went the Predators minus 120. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I agree with that. And for what it's worth, the Flames have been pretty decent on the road this year, 19-13-2 on the road, actually a better record, a better win percentage than what they have at home, which is pretty rare when you're looking, when you're looking at NHL teams. And the Predators haven't been great at home. So one team that's good on the road against a team that's not great at home. So, yeah, I definitely think there's a bit of value there in the Flames tonight. Good stuff, Ian. And by the way, uh, St. Peter's College is a private Jesuit university in Jersey City, New Jersey. So there you go. The more you know. <laughs> there you go. Interesting. <laughs> I'm always see you enlighten us, and I've now enlightened you. The Peacocks, I believe, is their mascot. The St. Peter's Peacocks. There are some great mascots in American college, uh, college sports. There's no doubt. Good stuff, buddy. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs> All right. Take care, Pat. Ian McMillan from Odd Shark. He joins us every Thursday on Pinder and Steinberg on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The same secret recipe since 1975. For pickup or delivery, call 403-248-3344 and find them at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. My sneaky bet of the night, though, I do I do like Calgary plus 100 just because of the value in Nashville. A little bit more than if you're betting on the Preds. But if you don't want to bet that game, my sneaky bet of the night. Buffalo plus 205 in Vegas. Golden Knights have won seven in a row, but they're on the second half of a back-to-back coming off a really impressive win, an emotional win over the Oilers yesterday. Maybe it's Robin Lehner's. It's going to be Robin Lehner's first start. Don't know what to expect. Sabres plus 205 in Buffalo. Sneaky good bet tonight because the value's there, even if they're... I still think Vegas is the favorite and should be the favorite, but if you can get plus 200 and above for a team playing against another team on the second half of back-to-back and also Buffalo on the second half of back-to-back too. But that is a sneaky value there. I'm, I'm thinking about that one tonight. It's Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Game day on Pinder and Steinberg. Welcome back. 2.56. It is the Predators. As the Flames continue to stay red hot on the road, Patty. We'll see if they can extend that into Bridgestone Arena tonight. It's been an impressive run away from the saddle home, which kind of feels weird because, oh, this team, this team, this team. And I get that from the fans because the best hockey this group's played the last couple months has been away from the saddle home, not at it. 15-4-1 in their <laughs> last 20 games. So they won 15 of their last 20 on the road, which is pretty like impressive. A tidy 775 points percentage yep. or something along those lines. Ooh, very nice. Uh, we were toying around yesterday, and uh, producer Jordan was listening. We were talking about how we need to start a new segment called People Ask Pat because you're really just an incredibly knowledgeable person in many fields. You host overtime. You've got a lot of followers on Twitter, and sometimes people just have questions and they need someone that maybe has an idea or a solution for them. So we've come up with something that sounds a little something like this. You've got questions. He's got answers. Phone him. Text him. Tweet him. He is the encyclopedia of life. People ask Pat. They sure do. What's the latest on uh, People Ask Pat? Since I mean, we only spoke, what, 20 hours ago. But has someone asked you anything that we need answers yes. to? Yes. In fact, 10 minutes ago, what? somebody asked me this. This is on Twitter uh, from Lucifer. Lucifer. Please don't kill me. Uh, don't at, talk about Ryan that way. At Lucifer MS Devil. <laughs> Scary Twitter. Double theme there. Okay. Um, but here is the question. Is there any particular reason that none of the podcast from your shows are available? None. None of the podcast. Hmm, I feel like that's a typo. Yep. Uh, is there any particular reason that none of the podcast from your shows are available? Who should I contact as this is an ongoing issue? 
Again, thank you for providing some information. Pat is the glue that holds the station together, but uh, not on you. Is, I, is this the same person that asked you where the morning show was the other day? It's a different person, I believe. Should Similar I respond question. to him live on the air? Yeah, I should. Say thank you for inquiry. your inquiry. I can't We're working at the issue. question for you. Hashtag people ask Pat. But thank you for your inquiry. You do have to use that hashtag Please now whenever you answer. So, Sportsnet960 on Facebook is that, uh, and voice your case. Jordan the web goat? Is that his territory? That would no. fit. No. Someone else? Okay. It might be Jordan. Some that. podcast he's responsible for. Yes. Um, here's what my... Is this a good response? I can't answer this question for you, but thanks for your inquiry. Please go to Sportsnet960 on Facebook and voice your concern. Hashtag people ask Pat. Good. So what we want you to do now is something even less sportsy, like not even about a sports show. Send us your inquiries for Pat whenever they strike. Maybe it's at four in the morning and you're trying to solve a problem. Just make sure you use the hashtag people ask Pat. And, uh, well, Pat, we'll just get you to keep track of these and we'll check in every week or so. Sound good? on the text line if we'd like to take a look at them. Yeah, okay. Text line. You can People ask Pat on the text line too. My pee-pee hurts. Help, Pat. That feels like a trap. Uh, another one coming segment. in. Pat, hey, Pat. Take a look at this mole on my back. Not from here, but if you do come down to the downtown studios and get past our savvy security staff, Pat could take a, lo- a look at that mole send on your back. Send him a picture of it on Twitter. Luke, if you send me a picture of that on Twitter, I'm blocking you. You know that's Luke, huh? Yeah, I will block disturbing. you if you do that. All right. Well, that's probably it for People Ask Pat like for that. today. You know... Don't ask the same questions to Lou on Lou's mailbag. Keep those into Lou's wheelhouse. Lou doesn't want to look at the mole on your back. He Pat's sure kind of curious doesn't. about it. Yeah. Am I? Um, but Lou's mailbag is back tomorrow. Get your questions in at sportsnet.ca slash 960 and then tune in Fridays to see if your question is the one asked. If it is, you're winning a pair of lower bowl seats to an upcoming Flames game and a $100 gift card at Ruth's Chris. It's all brought to you by Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Primetime menu featuring two courses for $44 available daily before 6.30 p.m. And anytime on Sundays, Roots Chris Steakhouse. Huge game in Nashville. Huge potential return to the lineup. An early edition of the Daily Flames Roundtable is next. It's Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg, brought to you by Glenmore Audi. Experience the all-new Audi Q8, the perfect combination of luxury and technology with endless possibilities to tailor to your needs and tastes. Visit GlenmoreAudi.com. Daily Calgary Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. This hockey season, you can view over 70 vehicles in their warm showroom. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills, minutes from the airport. Huge game in Music City tonight. Flames and Predators, third and final matchup between these two and a huge potential swing either way, depending on what happens. Welcome back to Pinder and Steinberg. We're live here in our Basement Systems downtown studio and live in Nashville right now is Derek Wills to complete our daily Calgary Flames roundtable. Mark Giordano almost certainly returns to the lineup tonight, Derek, after missing the last 10 games. He was a game-time decision on Tuesday, didn't go, but... I'm with you. I saw you on Twitter, and then listening to him speak today, it sure does sound like it's almost a foregone conclusion that he will play today. So let's assume that that is the case. Obviously a huge boost to get your best player back in the lineup, but how important is it for the Flames not to breathe a sigh of relief and maybe let off the gas pedal a little bit just because their captain's coming back? Well, without divulging to you what I just saw and just heard moments ago, I'll just say that I feel quite confident that Mark Giordano is going to play against the Predators tonight, and I'll leave it at that. But, I mean, they can't have any sort of letdown. 
there's been way too many of those this season. You know, there's been a lot of high highs. There's been a lot of low lows. And they have to be steadier down the stretch. And they're off to a great start. 2-0 on this road trip. Played a good enough game against the Red Wings in Detroit on Sunday. Played a great game. What I think was their best 60-minute effort of the season in Boston against the league-leading Bruins on Tuesday. And now you just got to do more of that. I mean, they were good pretty much from top to bottom and from start to finish. It feels like 10 years ago that I said day after day after day that the Flames have a depth advantage over most NHL teams at forward and on defense and in goal. And for most of the season, that quite simply hasn't been the case. But more often than not of late, we're starting to see that depth. The, the guys who I would consider to be the primary scorers are scoring. The guys who I would consider to be the secondary scorers, they're scoring too. They're even getting some production from their defense, and there hasn't been a lot of offense from that group this season, especially in comparison to, to the last three or four or five seasons. So for the Flames, it's just about playing to their potential. And I really believe that if they do that more often than not down the stretch, not only will they make the playoffs, They'll be a top three team in the Pacific Division with uh, a potential chance to make a run come the postseason. Uh, as a Giordano, Pat, I think it's a really important thing for this group to, um, as you said, don't look past it. You know, it's a group that when they've come off very resounding, solid victories, they've followed it up with very lackluster efforts. I'm not suggesting that that's going to happen tonight, but it would totally not surprise me one bit, and it wouldn't be out of character. What happened after they won 6 nothing in Anaheim to close a road trip? They came home and played one of their worst efforts on home ice and lost to the Blackhawks in a game where they gave neither of their goalies a chance, and they both got shelled. You know, Big wins haven't been followed by solid efforts a ton this year. Add in another potential lapse, if you will, with Giordano being back, and yeah, this, this has got a bit of a scary feel about it. Flip side being, I don't know that it's like, okay, Giordano's back, everyone kick back so much as there, there might be some excitement about getting their captain back and a little bit of uh, buzz in that room, uh, given that I think this was a group that contemplated their future without Mark Giordano at the time of the injury when he went down on that homestand. Uh, the initial feel was he could be done for the year. So this is, this is found money potentially from a mental standpoint on where these guys were at when they saw their captain go down in the first few days of speculating how long he'd be out. Yeah, I just I, I think it's just an important reminder, and we, we see it lots in the NHL. You get a guy back after being out for an extended period of time, and you know, you've done a good job withstanding while that player, one of the most important players, has been out. And then for you know, it, it can become just natural for you to take a, a deep breath and let off the gas pedal a little bit. And I just, the Flames aren't in a position where they can do that. And as much as it's huge that Mark Giordano is coming back, they've got to play with the same type of resolve and urgency as they were doing when he was out. They did a nice job of banding together with him out and guys stepped up and those guys who stepped up need to continue playing as well as they were playing while Mark Giordano was gone. So that's just the main thing for me is that it's important that that doesn't happen because they don't have the ability to take their foot off the gas at any point. Yeah. I can tell you guys that being around the team on this road trip and being in the dressing room in Boston on Tuesday morning when his teammates thought he was coming back and being around them again in the dressing room here in Nashville today when they're even more confident that he's going to come back, I don't think there's going to be a letdown. I think the team is super excited to just have him on the road 
and really excited to get their captain and their best defenseman and arguably their best player back. The other reason why I don't think there's going to be a letdown, guys, right now there's a lot of internal competition for spots. Uh, the Flames have at least NHL, eight NHL caliber defensemen, maybe even nine if you go down to the Stockton Heat. So right now, guys know that they have to be good because if they aren't, then someone's going to steal their spot. Oliver Shillington and Michael Stone are going to be healthy scratches if Mark Giordano plays today. So you can't afford to take your foot off the gas if you're a player because, well, number one, your team can't have that. They've got to be at, at their best moving forward here. But number two, if you do, you risk potentially getting taken out of the lineup or having some ice time or special teams time taken away. The other thing I like about what's kind of developed as Giordano's battle back from this hamstring injury is that guys have played elevated roles and Brad Treleving has brought in two defensemen who can potentially take a little bit of ice time away from Mark Giordano. We've already seen it on the power play. Eric Gustafson is the new defenseman, the only defenseman on the first power play unit. So with him playing on that PP1 and Mark Giordano moving to PP2, that means the captain's going to get a little less power play time than he's been getting all season. So you know, it's not a lot, but it's a little bit. And then on special, the other side of special teams and the penalty kill, we saw Derek Forbord get some penalty kill time the other night. So maybe on PP1, it's uh, Gustafson, and on PP2, it's Giordano. And then on PK1, it's not necessarily Giordano, although he will certainly still get some penalty kill time. So uh, lightening the load on the captain at uh, 36 years of old or, or of age is probably not a bad thing down the stretch here. So Mark Giordano back in tonight for the Calgary Flames as the Flames get set to take on the Nashville Predators. It's a 6 o'clock face-off. Great game on Tuesday in Boston. Nobody's going dis to dispute that. So how can they build on that? What do they have to do to make sure that that's a building block and not a one-off? More of the same. I mean, it's really hard to break it down at a technical level, but just more of the same more engagement from all four forward lines and all three defense pairings and whoever the starting goaltender happens to be. I mean, the Flames, like I said earlier, from top to bottom and pretty much from start to finish, they played a complete game on the road in the toughest building in the National Hockey League against the team that's at the top of the overall standing. So you can't ask much more from them than that. Are they going to be that up for every game between now and the end of the regular season? You'd like them to be. But truth be told, probably not. So, you know, go out there, be as emotionally engaged as you can and execute at a high level. This team's got a lot of talent. So even when they're not at their best, they should still win more often than they lose. But you can't have those high highs. Well, you don't mind the high highs, I guess. But you can't have those low lows. I know that much. So kind of finding at least a middle ground, if not uh, being closer to the high end of that spectrum, is going to be the key for me. I just want to see them work their tails off early, Pat. And that's uh, something that if we do see letdowns, that's typically how it starts with a group that isn't ready to play. So if they're out there and you can watch and say, yes, they are going tonight, I'm less worried about this group. Um, no, that doesn't mean that they can't have letdowns later in games, but it just seems like when they're going to lay an egg, it's very blasé out of the gate, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I just... I want to see them engaged from the get-go and all night as they were for essentially the entire night against the Bruins. And, and that, to me, will, will give me a fair amount of confidence that they're going to be able to put together another solid outing. It's, it's funny because 
This game's a strange one. I don't know what to expect from the Flames tonight. I really don't because that's been the pattern all year long. And I also, having you know, paid pretty close attention to what's been going on in Nashville this year, I, I have no idea what to expect from the Predators tonight because they've been as confounding and as inconsistent and below expectations as the Flames have been at, at, at this season and for a good chunk of this year. So I don't know what to expect from either team. This is a massive game for both sides, and the realization of what this game means for both teams is not lost on either team, and yet... If you're a fan of the Flames or a fan of the Predators, I don't know how confident you are as to what you're going to see tonight. But from a Flames standpoint, if they come out and play the same type of game against Boston tonight against Nashville, then that's a really good sign for me because coming off a day off where you can feel really good about your game against Boston and you know and 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 sometimes that's not always been the best recipe success of success for the Flames, if they can come off a day off and have a very similar outing against the Predators tonight. That's, that's a, I believe anyway, a subtle step forward for this group. So I'm curious to see if they can do it. Yeah, I would agree with you. And Ryan, you talked about their work ethic. I think that's a really good point. And you know, just taking that a step further, you know, talking to Jeff Ward, I had a long chat with him this morning. Work ethic, you always have to have it. But how hard they work without the puck is really important. And I think Johnny Gaudreau is a great example of that. When he's working hard without the puck, it means he has the puck more. And when he has the puck, he's going to produce. And when he produces, he's happy. So it's kind of the old snowball effect, and it can go one way or the other. But uh, the Flames work ethic without the puck. When they're good without it, they generally are pretty good with it as well. And Pat, to your point, I think there's a lot of comparisons that can be made between these two teams. Really high expectations to start the season, and both teams have been consistently inconsistent, which is why the Flames are in the first wild card spot and the Predators are in the second. And a lot of the Predators' top guns have misfired more often than not this season, which is obviously something you can say about the Flames as well. I mean, Kyle Terris has nine goals in 55 games this season. Philip Forsberg leads the team with 18, but he had nine of those 18 in the first 12 games. He's only got nine goals in 44 games since then. I mean, you can go up and down this roster. Victor Arvidsson, who had 34 goals in 58 games last season, only has 14 in 50 this season. So you can take a look at both rosters and you can look at how individual players and, and the teams collectively have underachieved. But the bottom line is the Flames and the Predators both control their own destiny. So this is a huge game for both teams tonight. Both teams need the two points, so we'll see who gets them. Final thought on our Daily Calgary Flames roundtable. He's Derek Wills. My name is Pat Steinberg, and he's Ryan Pinder. It's going to be David Riddick getting the start in net. Third straight start on this road trip for the Flames. Wins in Detroit and Boston so far, where he was solid, but in neither case really needed to be tested all that much. But the, the interesting thing for me is that in a really important spot, in a really crucial road trip for this team, David Riddick started three of three. And probably when it's all said and done, it's going to start four or five. We've talked a lot about the goaltending position of late, how to use the goalies, how much to use the goalies. But guys, does this give us a clue as to how the Flames still view this depth chart and who's on top of this depth chart for them? Not really. Who played the last time these two teams met? At home, it was Talbot. Yeah. And where are we now? On the road. David Riddick has really struggled at home. I mean, he's 0-5-1 with a 5.10 goals against average and a .851 save percentage in his last seven home games. But on the road, he has been 
you could argue, better than any goaltender in the league dating back to November 23rd. He has been brilliant outside of, outside of Scotiabank Saddledome. As a matter of fact, 12-3-1 with a 2.39 goals against average and a .924 save percentage in his last 16 road games. So David Riddick, in my opinion, should be the guy the Flames lean on on the road. Now, if he's going to be a legitimate number one goaltender for this team, he's going to have to figure it out at home. And that's not just on him. That's on the guys in front of him as well. But you know, the Flames have been a really good road team, and Riddick's been a really good road goaltender. At some point in time, he and they are going to have to figure it out at home. But uh, for me, I would probably lean Talbot at home right now and Riddick on the road, and it looks like that's kind of what the team's doing as well. Riddick's the guy they want to be their num- number one. I think that's what all this tells you, Pat, is that even coming off rough starts, they've been eager to get him back in. And when Talbot's played really well on his rough start, it's back to Riddick. Um, now, I agree with Derek on the splits 100%. I think they're a lot more eager to get Talbot in at home. But the time where David Riddick's going to have to figure out home ice is the final 15 games of the year when 11 of them are, 11 of them are at the Scotiabank Saddledome. And you'd love to open the postseason at the Scotiabank Saddledome. Uh, I think on similar performance, this coaching staff has leaned back to Riddick more than they would to Talbot. And I kind of get that. One's the young guy that you probably are thinking about being with the club long-term, and the other guy was a one-year rebound candidate who's proven to be exactly that. And will Talbot be here beyond this year? Who knows? Maybe this is a lovely tandem, and he enjoys it here, and it's a nice fit. But I I don't think there's any mistake that they're keen to get Riddick back in after an ugly start, whereas Talbot can disappear for a couple weeks. Yeah, and I mean, one of them's over 30, one of them's under 30, and the latter, I think, is the guy that you want to be your long-term number one guy. But, you know, I'm kind of with you, Derek. I I don't know if it gives us necessarily an idea as to which way they're leaning come night one of the playoffs. Uh, I just think that, you know, the way that one guy's played on the road, one guy's played at home definitely plays into it. But there has seemingly been more of an eagerness to get Riddick back in there and, and get him back established again. So I guess it doesn't necessarily give me any more or less of a clue as to which way they're leaning. I, I still just believe that if push comes to shove, if they had to choose one guy for a winner-take-all game, right now the coaching staff would go with Riddick, and I would have given you that answer in January, December, November, and October, and here yeah. we are in February, and that, that hasn't changed. So I don't know if it gives me any more of a clue as much as I just don't think anything is necessarily changed in that regard. No, I mean, who they're starting tonight doesn't push me one way or the other. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind. There's been no doubt in my mind. They want David Riddick to be the guy, and they're giving him every opportunity to be the guy. But at the end of the day, if Cam Talbot is playing better down the stretch, I'm not convinced that he won't be the guy in game one of the Stanley Cup playoffs if this team gets there. But they want David Riddick to be that guy, and it's going to be up to him. If uh, he can figure it out at home, then he will be the guy. If he can't, I'm not so sure. Mr. Wills, have yourself a wonderful rest of the day in Nashville. Enjoy the atmosphere at Bridgestone tonight. Should be a lot of fun. We'll talk to you at puck drop time. Sounds good. Have a good night, guys. Daily Calgary Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Working hard or playing hard, the Sprinter van does it all. With special rebates up to 12500 on select 2019 models. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills, minutes from the Calgary airport. So your Calgary Flames warm-up is part of your drive home tonight. Between 5 and 6 o'clock, we will bring you Flames warm-up with Peter Labardius and myself. On top of that, we'll bring you another iconic moment. I will bring you a moment from the past, ask you a trivia question about it. It's a uh, Rob Kerr would love this trivia. 
trivia question is all I know. Um, and if you know anything about Rob Kerr, maybe it'll give you a hint. Maybe it won't. But he would love this trivia question. It's coming up between 5 and 6 o'clock tonight. If you get the trivia question right near the first one through at 960-960, you'll be entered into a grand prize draw, which is a trip to Las Vegas for the NHL Awards in June. It includes airfare and accommodation for 2 plus $600 spending cash. It's all brought to you by Iconic Electric and Controls, promoting a culture of quality since 2008. Visit IconicEC.ca. Wrapping up the trade deadline in a few different spots. We've got a rare mid-afternoon chat with Eric DeHatchik of The Athletic. He's coming your way next on Pender and Steinberg. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Save me. Pinder and Steinberg, brought to you by Glenmore Audi. Experience the all-new Audi Q8, the perfect combination of luxury and technology with endless possibilities to tailor to your needs and tastes. Visit GlenmoreAudi.com. It's a rare treat to be able to talk to our next guest. Usually you hear him Tuesdays and Thursdays on Hockey Central at noon, but we had the Be Brave anti-bullying game for the Calgary Hitmen today against the Winnipeg Ice. Big home win for the Hitmen, so no Hockey Central at noon, which means a few hours later than normal, we get to chat with Eric DeHatch. Check our NHL insider from The Athletic. Hello, Mr. DeHatchik. How are you? I'm very good, actually. Quite good. You know, still tr- digesting what happened on Monday. Real interesting trade deadline, I thought. Well, absolutely. And, and you're, you're working on your, uh, your weekly mailbag or your weekly uh, notebook right now, right? Yes, correct. Yeah, just, uh, you know, I like to, you know, I mean, you know, like everybody hits it, you know, when uh, when it happens at the trade deadline. And then, you know, generally after, like I, I write my notebook every Friday anyway. So, uh, you know, the first notebook after the trade deadline is after I've had a chance to sort of let everything sink in for 72 hours. And, and, and what I like to do, uh, because the, the obvious trades are the obvious trades, right? I mean, the things that everybody was talking about right afterwards, you know, the, what the price, you know, that... Uh, that Tampa gave up to get Barkley, Goudreau, you know, what it cost uh, the Islanders to get uh, uh, Pajot. But in, invariably, Pat, and you've seen this too, uh, it's, it's those subtle trades, like Tyler Ennis for a, a fifth-round pick, and then Edmonton makes the playoffs, and, and, you know, and they need a goal to, to win a game seven, and all of a sudden it's Tyler Ennis that, that does it. Those are the trades that I like to sort of parse after the fact and, and, and physically go through 55 transactions and pick out a few names and pick, pick out a few situations and just wonder, you know, is, is there a Michael Kemp deal in there? So, you know, a, a, a deal that allows a team to, to just get that supplementary piece that makes all of the difference. I mean, when Washington won the Stanley Cup, I mean, it was Kuznetsov was fantastic. Ovechkin was fantastic. Holtby made the save of the year. Uh, your, your best players have to be your best players, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But once in a great while, going all the way back to Butch Goring going to the New York Islanders to, you know, when, when Washington grabbed Kempney, there is sometimes a kind of under-the-radar transaction that happens. And so that's, that's kind of what I'm focusing on, just trying to, you know, p- pick through the names and, and, and see what's what. And, and, you know, so many of these trades are, are, are so interesting, right? Well, it's funny you mention that because I remember uh, when the Flames were still at home before they embarked on this five-game road trip, and had a chat with Jeff Ward, the head coach, after media availability and was talking about the team that he was on that won the Stanley Cup in Boston in 2011 and was talking about some of those big acquisitions. There is the Caberlet deal they had made. Uh, they went out and they got Rich Peverly at the deadline. They made some They made some big additions at the deadline that ended up Chris Kelly. They gave up a lot for, and Kelly was big for them down the stretch and in that playoff run. It was just interesting to hear him talk about what different additions can make for you at the deadline. Sometimes they work out swimmingly, and sometimes they're complete and utter busts, and you 
can't really you can't really forecast which ones are going to work. But I'm with you. That's a that's a really interesting exercise. Well, and, and here's what I would tell you too. Like, uh, and, and so to me, a lot of times, how you evaluate these trades depends an awful lot on acquisition cost, right? So I mentioned Tyler Ennis. You know, the acquisition cost there was negligible. It's a fifth round pick, so really you're risking very little. And you know, if you just want to talk specifically about uh, about the local team, I thought the acquisition cost for those two defensemen was very moderate considering what happened the week before. So there was this giant run on defensemen uh, uh, a week before the trade deadline, and I think everybody felt that they had to get in on the action at that point because they would run out of bodies to, to pursue. And, and so I thought some teams overpaid, for, you know, for sure. You know, what, uh, you know, what Washington paid for Brendan Dillon seemed high to me. Um, didn't mind the Vegas acquisition of Alec Martinez. I, I spent a lot of time in California. I got to watch Martinez a lot. The thing about Martinez, he ha- hasn't been having a very good year. He, uh, you know, he missed a part of a bunch of time because he had a, a skate cut that uh, uh, that took a long time to heal. And, and you know, after he'd returned to the lineup, really hadn't found his stride. But the one thing about it, I mean, you know, he's got a big personality. You know, he's a confident guy, and he's won before. And the one thing I think that Vegas. Uh, was looking at there was you know this was a guy that that was monstrous in that uh, the playoff series between LA and, uh, and Vegas Vegas's first year Vegas took them out in four straight but they were four one goal games and second game of that uh, of that series uh, Dowdy was suspended Martinez played like 48 minutes or some ridiculous amount of of ice time like that so they know how competitive he is. And so if you look at Vegas on paper, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I'm one of those people that had Vegas at the start of the season, you know, win in the Pacific. That's the, the team to watch. And, you know, they stutter stepped through the first half of the season and things weren't looking very good, but they found, kind of found their, their stride. And of all of the players that have been acquired by teams, the one that seems to have had that instant fit is, is Martinez. I think it's six points in, in four games. I think he only had eight in the 47 before that with, uh, uh, with, with L.A. So I think he's been rejuvenated by the move. I think he was a bit surprised that he got that Vegas welcome, you know, the showgirls and the signs and, and all those other things. But you can just tell that when he plays, you know, in the, in the top three there and everybody else bumps down the depth chart and, and is playing where they should rather than playing up and, and, and doing, you know, carrying a workload that they probably shouldn't be carrying, it just changes everything. He, he, that really does look like that, that Kempney piece because I, I, I like Vegas' chances. I think a lot of people do. I think the vet, betting odds have them as one of the, the Stanley Cup favorites. So it may well be that in June when we're talking, if, if we're talking about Vegas in the Stanley Cup final, I'd be very surprised if, if Martinez wasn't one of the big reasons that they point to that galvanized them and, and, and got them going. You mentioned Vegas. They've won seven in a row now. A big win over the Oilers last night. They've got Buffalo on home ice tonight. This, you talk about the Martinez edition, and, and I'm with you. It was a really nice addition for them. But on top of that, it just kind of looks like this team is finally playing to the potential that everybody knew they had going back to the beginning of the season. Yeah, well, it's true, and then you know they have had some injuries up front. So, uh, and 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 since Peter DeBoer has, has taken over uh, from Gerard Gallant as uh, as the coach, I mean, one of the things that you know, if you watch the game the other night, uh, um, you know, they they flipped the two centers. So, you know, for the most part, since he's arrived, Paul Stasny has played with uh, on the line with Mark Stone there, 
and, and also uh, Max Pacioretty. And, uh, and Carlson, of course, was you know, right from the get-go uh, playing with, uh, with Riley Smith and, and Marchessault. So they flipped the centers on those two lines. And I think that it's just to give them a, a, a different look, uh, you know, forces those players to think a little bit and give them some options going forward if they decide to go with that. I, I, I expect that you'll see those lines restored to their normal uh, uh, configurations when, uh, when all is said and done. But I think the one guy that's really helped them has been a kind of an under-the-radar acquisition. And the reason that they were able to trade, you know, Cody Eakin to Winnipeg is Chandler Stevenson. I mean, I ran into Kelly McCrimmon a couple of, that was more than a month ago right now, and t- t- just talking about how he came in and during Carlson's absence was able to play in a top six role, and they didn't really miss very much. And so now he's back where he should be playing in a bottom six role, but been very effective for them. So they, they kind of liked the way they were lining up uh, uh, and among that forward group. They did pick up Nick Cousins, who had a goal the other night. Looks like he you know, might help them a little bit. But they, you know, they have good pieces up front. I think the biggest question mark there was, was Marc-Andre Fleury. And, and to me, Pat, one of the stories that you know, I think all of us are going to have to explore in the next little while, and maybe it gets to talking about Calgary and Nashville today, is two of the greatest goaltenders of the last decade, Henrik Lundqvist and Pekka Rene, look to me like they're, they're aging a bit. And so, it, I mean, it happens to everybody. But if you look at the, you know, these guys, it wasn't so long ago that they were still really dominant, you know, 55 game per night uh, for per season goaltenders, and, and they haven't been the same. I think one of the reasons Nashville struggled a bit is because Rene just hasn't been performing at that level, and, and it looks like Lundqvist has been pushed down to number three on that depth chart, going to play a little now with Shesterkin out, but, but, but those guys are, are aging, and, and it's affecting performance, and I thought the same thing was happening with Fleury, and yet here he is. He's bounced back in an unbelievable way, so it may well be that, you know, that the, what they've decided is that you know, adjusting is workload, and I think that's why Robin Leonard is, has come in to, to replace Malcolm Subban, is going to be so critical, because I think they still feel that, that Fleury rested, focused at the top of his game is a guy that they can win with. And so that, to me, is the biggest thing there. You know, Fleury didn't look like himself. I know there were some things going on in his personal life uh, that may have affected performance as well, but right now, he looks dialed in, and he doesn't look old at all. And if he can play like this, they are going to be a dangerous team. Eric Dehatchek with us. He uh, joins us on Tuesdays and Thursdays. A little bit later today with No Hockey Central at noon. Wanted to ask you a little bit about Calgary's opposition tonight, and that's the Nashville Predators. They're in a weird spot. They're not used to being in this spot, fighting for their playoff lives. as a bubble team this late in the season. What do you make of their relatively quiet trade deadline? Um, not, not totally surprised. I, I, I honestly thought that they would try and get uh, um, a little bit of an upgrade on, on, on the blue line. So, you know, I thought, you know, if you looked at the, the rental market, Sammy Vatnin was available, um, you know, players uh, along those lines, um, just because, you know, I, I think that they have, they have gone from historically one of the, the, the best you know, one to six defensive teams in the league to a, to a team that really doesn't have a very impressive defense at all. But I think that what ended up happening was that Ryan Ellis is finally back uh, in the lineup, healthy again after that injury he suffered in the outdoor game when he got clipped by uh, by Corey Perry. And, and he's so critical because, you know, Roman Yossi is having, you know, close to a Norris Trophy uh, winning season. If it wasn't for the way John Carlson had played in, in uh, Washington, he would be the Norris Trophy favorite. So he's been great. And Ellis, before he got injured, was a really, really good number two, like a you know, again, the top, top, top defenseman, and then, then Ekholm, and then it falls off after that. So by bringing Ellis back, they shore up the blue line. I, I would still like to see one more, uh, seen them get one more warm body in there just to, you know, take some of the pressure off of, uh, 
off of the rest of it. I, I know they did acquire Corbinian Holzer, and he'll probably play as a six, and he's a good physical guy, but I think that they needed an upgrade there. But the, the, the crazy thing, I was thinking about Nashville, Pat, and, and you know, for me, you know, remember the, the George Costanza character in the Seinfeld show, and there was a, there was a, a, an episode one time where it was the opposite, right? Because everything he did was the wrong thing, and he realized that he needs to, you know, just do the opposite of what his instincts tell him, and, and then he's doing the right thing. So that's me with Nashville. I have been so wrong about Nashville for so long right now; it's unbelievable. I I I, I thought this year the the acquisition of Matt Duchesne, I thought that would be a perfect fit there. I, I thought that they had all of the pieces. I really thought that they were the team that was going to win that Central Division, and and they have not been good, and, and their good players have been terrible. You know, Ryan Johansson is having a very poor season, a very poor season. Arvidsson's having a poor season. Duchesne has just been okay. I mean, their best forwards have been the Rocco Grimaldis and, and the Nick Beninos. If they hadn't been getting strong play from their secondary players there, they wouldn't even be in the conversation. So I think that the message, getting back to your original question, that David Poy was sending at the trade deadline was, we spent a lot of money to bring some of you guys in. We gave up a lot of futures in the case of Johansson, Seth Jones, you know, so you come in here and you've got 20 games left and show us that you are the players that we think we are. So he's essentially challenged the group by saying, we're not bringing in anybody to help. You know, you guys have made this mess. You know, in, in theory, you should be able to fix it. You're being certainly paid at the level that, that requires, you know, or suggests you should be able to produce more. So, so I think that's what, what, what they've done internally. And, and I don't know, you know, like, because as I said, I'm always wrong about Nashville. I thought they were going to be good this year, and they haven't been. They have been better lately. What is it, eight, four, and one? I think in the last thirteen. So we'll see. You know, maybe this is the start of that turnaround, and maybe they can start to build. And and you know, the, the, that one year that they they had the run to the Stanley Cup final, they were just they were just squeaking into the playoffs kind of a team, and then they knocked off Chicago, which was the, the division champion at the time. So maybe that's the script again this year. Just get in and then focus and, and see where you're at. But, um, yeah, they, they puzzle me because, I, you know, they should be way better than they have been. Yeah. Um, final thought for you, and I, I find this one interesting. Tonight Boston's going to debut Andre Kasha. He was a pickup just before the deadline. They also got Nick Ritchie, so a couple of players from the Anaheim Ducks. It's a team that you know you know pretty well. You spent a lot of time in California. I'm just curious as to your thoughts on, on the fit of both Ritchie and Kasha now as members of a Stanley Cup contender. Yeah, no, I'm a real good question. I think that they're this year's uh, Charlie Coyle and, and Marcos uh, Johansson. Remember the you know the Bruins went out and got those guys and both helped them you know get to the Stanley Cup final and were important pieces. And and while and Richie and, and Kasha are completely different players, the thing about Kasha has always been health. Um, so you know when he's been healthy and confident, um, you know he's a dynamic player, dynamic offensive guy. Can, you know one of those guys that can create something out, out out of nothing will score a dazzling highlight real goal. But one, he hasn't been consistent. So that you know on the nights when he's not there, you know you can't find him, and he can be a bit of a defensive liability. And then of course you know he does have that injury history and, and a history of concussion. So there is a risk associated with Boston acquiring him because they did give up a first round draft uh, choice. And I think the reason that Anaheim was prepared to move him was just because of that injury risk and because they do have an awful lot of players in the organization now, like the Troy Terrys and the Sam Steeles, uh, the Lundestroms, that they feel that can come in and, and play those minutes. Now, Nick Ritchie is, I think, a player that was driving them crazy in Anaheim because, you know, if, if you look at him, he's, he's big, he's strong, he's skilled. 
So it just never, it just never was able to get it together. Now it's only a 2014 draft choice, so it doesn't mean that he is necessarily uh, plateaued here. But I think that they thought internally in Anaheim that maybe he had, or that at the very least he needed a change of scenery uh, in order to get his game to the next level. Because the way he is right now is serviceable NHLer, but but really that's all. You know, you know in Anaheim. You know, he was given opportunities to play on the top line with with Getzlaff. He was he always seemed to be a guy that you know was able to score about a you know a third a point uh, every game roughly, and and just didn't have enough of an impact on a game. So I actually watched him the other night uh, playing for Boston. I thought he was you know he, he played physically and he played hard, and and it looked like he. It looked like he had a, another gear, a gear, a gear that I hadn't seen very much in Anaheim. So that would be really good for the Bruins. And, and I'm looking at their, the projected lines today, and it looks as if they're going to try and play both of those guys with David Krejci, and that allows them to move Jake DeBrusque down the depth chart. Well, if Jake DeBrusque is on your third line with Charlie Coyle, you know, essentially you're probably going to run um, you know, three lines or maybe four because that fourth line has been playing pretty well for them as well. Um, that's formidable. That is formidable. So a lot depends on how well these guys go. I think they're going to be energized by going to a team with a legitimate Stanley Cup championship. But that's you know that lasts for a little while, and then you know the work starts. So if if they can perform, if they can execute, um, boy, Boston's going to be tough. Great stuff as always, Duha. A pleasure to chat with you. It's always fun to catch up. Thank you, sir. Yeah, my pleasure. Derek DeHatchek, one of our NHL insiders from The Athletic. He joined us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The same secret recipe since 1975 for pickup or delivery. Call 403-248-3344. Find them at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. This is Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg, brought to you by Glenmore Audi. Experience the all-new Audi Q8, the perfect combination of luxury and technology with endless possibilities to tailor to your needs and tastes. Visit GlenmoreAudi.com. Flames and Predators tonight. Massive, massive game for implications on these standings, at least how tight they look in the wild card and can the Flames get up into the top three in the Pacific. Uh, for sure, for Vancouver's in action tonight as well, Patty. They will be another Pacific team to keep an eye on. And Vegas. Vegas on the second half of back-to-back, hosting Buffalo also on the second half of a back-to-back. There you go. But if you think the Flames and the Predators have the biggest influence on potential playoff probability in terms of the outcome of tonight's game, you would be wrong. The biggest game of the year in terms of probability swing for teams getting in and out Let me guess. happens tonight. Florida-Toronto? Florida and Toronto. A regulation win. Now, this is just one model's uh, numbers, so they'd be different from where you go. This is not. This is not Dom. This is no. Money Puck, but it's an interesting uh, case either way. Toronto's percentage of making the playoffs will go up ten percent from, uh, I believe, the seventies into the or from the eighties into the from the seventies into the eighties. If they lose, it'll drop eleven percent. If Florida wins in regulation, they'll go up eleven percent. If, it, if they lose in regulation, it drops 11%. A massive swing game, and the least you're going to have to do it with essentially a cast of five, six, sevens, and eights. Their defense core is absolutely crushed with Riley, CeCe, who's not that good, and Jake Muzzin all out at the moment. What's the, Now, does it just have the probability swings in that, um, in that one, or is it? does it also have probability swings... For the Flames they and tweeted, the Predators. They tweeted out earlier that it's the biggest swing game of the season to this point. Now, these will happen more and more as we get closer to the end of the year because points are obviously less and less available, so the swings are greater. 
but currently the Leafs have a 68% chance of making the playoffs and the uh, Panthers at 41 by their model, but massive swings tonight. Imagine the difference between waking up tomorrow and being 57% or 78%, essentially almost a coin toss versus three quarters of the way in. That's that's what the Leafs are looking at, and the flip is true uh, for the, the Panthers where they're about 50% to get in if they win in regulation versus a three out of 10 chance to get in the playoffs with a loss night. It's a big game. And uh, that and Flames and Predators probably be a really nice double bill or at least a back and forth to watch with uh, a lot on the line and huge stakes for all four clubs involved. Uh, correction, by the way, Vegas Buffalo isn't until tomorrow. I scrolled, scrolled mm. too far down on my page and thought it was still Thursday. It's Friday. So thank you to the boss. Uh, yeah, I thought that game was tomorrow. I'm doing uh, this to like ticket and I, uh, I, that's for tomorrow's game. I, I would much rather be... Uh, wrong and then corrected and then make the correction, then continue to sound like an idiot. So yes, um, but that the 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 Florida the Florida Toronto thing is fascinating because obviously Toronto had massive expectations coming into the season. Florida was a little bit more of an unknown group. With Joel you knew Quenville. they'd be better. They added right. Well, and they you got bring a really in good Bobrovsky. coach. They you bring in Bobrovsky a top five in. coach of all time, arguably. And and you've got some potentially elite players, Barkov. if not one that's already elite in Barkov. Huberno's mm-hmm. a really good player. They've got some nice pieces there at forward. So you looked at Florida and you said, well, this is probably going to be a year where they're a little bit better. But, you know, they, they have been – want to talk about inconsistency? Talk about the Florida Panthers. They've had runs where they're they, – they had a six-game win streak followed by a six-game losing streak. <laughs> like they've been all over the place this year. Panthers are a fascinating team because they don't add at the deadline. They sold off in terms of Trocheck, but they brought in instead of one, they brought in two NHLers. So they were able to get a little deeper on their roster while also meeting the mandate of cutting $10 million as the Chris Johnson reported. Mandate, yeah. I'm going to go with the mandate. If CJ's reporting it, then, um, then that's probably pretty accurate. And the Maple Leafs have not been able to get out of their own way this year on top of the fact they cannot catch a break when it comes to the injury side of things, especially in the second half of the season. So this is a fascinating game yep. to me between Florida and Toronto. The the, the Panthers, their best way in is through the Atlantic and not through the wild card. Yeah, 100%. There's way more teams involved in the, in the wild card. Yeah, all of a sudden you've got Columbus in the mix and some other teams. Columbus, that, Carolina, the Islanders, the Rangers. There you go. Yeah. Um, Florida's 2-0 and so far this year in the season series, and there's one more game remaining between the Buds and the Cats on March 23rd. Uh, and the last time the Panthers swept a season series with the Leafs, uh, 95-96. That was uh, 8-09 and 11-12. So three times, but not for nearly a decade. Uh, as for the Flames and Predators, we'll remind you of what's at stake in the standings on, for this one tonight. The Predators have played two fewer games than the Calgary Flames, so it's they don't really line up in the standings where you think they should. In fact, their points percentage is better than Calgary. But it's, I think, going to become a similar situation to what you're talking about with the Atlantic Division, where if you're the Flames, you're going to want to be jockeying for the Pacific 1-2-3 rather than in the wild card, because all of a sudden, Nashville and Winnipeg are more the competition than Arizona, and you still might have five teams yeah. from that Central Division club, or at least it's going to be 4-4, four and four, it feels like, at this point, because Arizona has just been so underwhelming even now with Kemper back, uh, they just can't seem to string wins together, can't score. Well, they beat, they beat the Tampa Bay Lightning on home ice. Florida comes in next, and they can only score one on the Panthers. It's a bizarre year for Arizona, but of all the Pacific Division teams, if you were to say, which one do you have the least faith in? The answer for me is Arizona. Yeah, and if I want to get you the four that are currently in playoff spots, Vegas, Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary. 
the one that I have the least faith in. It's tough because Edmonton and the and I know that you're like oh Calgary guy saying Edmonton has all to do with their injuries. I don't have Edmonton, and it all has to do with injuries to Vancouver. Fair enough. Do we know what Thatcher Demko is going to do for a month of, with the reins? Nope. I think he'll be fine, do we but know we don't Mike know. Smith or Miko Koskinen are going to do. Well, if, if they're healthy, as long as they just do what they've been doing all year, they've survived it. Like Mike Smith had a nine oh two or a nine oh three, but he just he's lost what once or twice in regulation. He's been very good this, of late. This I turn of the calendar that's crazy, absolutely insane. Uh, okay, uh, you'll be back in an hour. Early start alert. Flames and Predators at 6 means Flames warm-up at 5, which means the sports drive at 5 Central, Central. is coming up next. We'll be chatting with Adam Vignan of the uh, beat reporter for the Nashville Predators, working for The Athletic. And on top of that, we'll be joined right around the corner by Chris Johnson, our NHL insider, with more on that massive swing game from Sunrise, Florida. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, it is 4.05. It is a early edition of the Sports Drive at 5. My name is Ryan Pinder. We have our NHL insider, Chris Johnson, in mere moments. A reminder, we'll also check in with the story on the Preds from Adam Vingan, who's covered the club. He's also got the uh, latest playlist from Flames Practice, which he's uh, wave, wigging his finger at, not not approving. And in Music City, we should probably take some cues from him there. That at 22. Right now, though, Chris Johnston. Chris Johnston, brought to you by McLeod Trail Midas. Save some cash and skip the dealer. Bring your vehicle into McLeod Trail Midas, a full-service shop. Check out their Facebook page or schedule an appointment at Midas.com. CJ, I imagine we find you in Sunrise. Is that uh, an accurate guess, given you were in Tampa a few days ago? Yes, and it's nice out. I have to be honest. It's a gorgeous night here, about an hour from, from Buck Drop. Uh, biggest game of the year in terms of swing and playoff probability for both teams involved, according to moneypuck.com. What's the feel around this one? A win for the Panthers gets them back into the mix, and a loss for the Buds does feel rather devastating when you look at uh, where they sit versus the Panthers, never mind the health of their blue line. Well, it's kind of a weird game because I think it's fair to say these teams have probably never played what we would call a big game in their entire histories. I mean, they've just never had this, this kind of uh, direct rivalry or direct uh, path for each other to the playoffs. And, and you know, the, the Leafs are coming off another injury to Jake Muzz and they're down three of their top 60 now. So I think there's a fair bit of concern about that. And and so it's it's kind of a, a funny feel to this game, but you're, you're right. I think the implications are pretty obvious on, on both ends here about how important it is. And I think, you know, even look at the Leafs side, having won in Tampa a couple nights ago and played pretty well while doing so. I think that there's some urgency to string together good performances because that's not but something they've shown themselves capable of the last few weeks. Um, so, you know, you've got two divisional rivals, a massive swing game. I, what, a screaming 19,000 plus at BB&T tonight? I'm guessing not. You know, I, <laughs> I've been down here quite a bit for games and, you know, even when the Leafs are here, and obviously they bring lots of Canadians and snowbirds out to the games, I've never seen this building full. Well, and I guess that's probably a, a shot and a joke rather than an actual uh, attempt at an accurate question. Uh, it's going to be weird. I just to... wanted to take you literally just in I know, case. No, and that's fine, but I'll, I'll continue down the, the, the rabbit hole here with a thought that if you can't sell a game at the end of February that has an incredibly huge swing on your ability to make the playoffs against a divisional rival. How are we doing with hockey in sunrise Florida these days? Ah, I see where you're taking me. Well, I mean, you're right. It'll say something. And you know, I don't, I didn't ask anyone. I don't know yet how many people will be at the game. Maybe it'll be a pleasant surprise because 
uh, as I mentioned previously, these teams have probably never played a big game before. Uh, so maybe, maybe something will, will happen here. I mean, Florida's uh, just coming back from a five game road trip out West. So uh, they haven't been home. It's not as though there's been a, a ton of games where, where people are getting some fatigue for, you know, three home games in a week or something like that. And, um, you know, I don't know where we're at with it. I mean, this is the first year. Certainly there, there's a lot of pressure in their front office uh, to make the playoffs. Uh, you know, it's the first time they've ever spent right to the salary cap uh, and that's real dollars. That's not, you know, where they've acquired a bunch of inflated contracts and it's, it's just on, on paper. I mean, they, they spend real money on this team. Uh, I think that there's probably been a little bit of disappointment with how they performed and, you know, no one better embodies that than, than Sergei Bobrovsky, who's not proven to be the, the cure to all ills here for the Panthers uh, to this point. But, you know, I know he played well a couple nights ago when they won the, the game in Arizona. And, and uh, you know, this is the time to, to make some money back to, to try to qualify for the playoffs and get this group uh, in, in there. And, you know, I think they got a shot, honestly, with, with the Leafs as, as banged up as they are and with, with Toronto's blue line not being the strength at the best of times. I mean, this is a bit of a pick and Let's hope uh, there are people here that are that are paying attention. Okay, so one more on the Panthers. Um, you had reported or at least talked about uh, a need to cut payroll. What can you give us clarity on that? Is that reporting? Is that speculation? Is it you've heard? What was the word and what was the number? And give us all you can there. Well, that was one of those times where I radioed myself. Uh, yes, a bit. exactly. So let's on, clarify the radio. I was on at Fan 590 in Toronto during deadline day when the Trocheck trade happened, like in real time, and they asked why, and I mentioned something I'd heard. I, I think what, where the truth there is, though, is that there's a feeling, especially if they don't qualify for the playoffs, that they're not going to run this thing back as a, as a cap team yet again. And, and look, I think there's more to the Trocheck trade than just cutting salary, but it, that's, that's part of it. I mean, that's it's lessening their long-term commitment. They got two prospects in that deal. They got a couple of players in Eric Hall and Lucas Malmark who uh, don't have commitments uh, too far into the future. So you know, I think that they viewed it as a chance to improve defensively with a couple guys. And I do think that there's an element of repositioning how they're spending their money. But, you know, as it's been told to me since, you know, I, I do think that in Florida, those decisions yet haven't been made uh, firmly by the owner. And I think a lot will depend on how they finish the year and sure. how many playoff games they play and all those types of things. But uh, I, I would say, quite confidently that it's not a foregone conclusion that they'll continue to be among the league's big spenders. You know, a lot is, is riding on these last few weeks. Yeah, fair enough. And look, it, it probably doesn't matter a ton if they draw flies here in February, but sell out the building and go on a run in the playoffs. We understand that even the most apathetic markets can go absolutely bananas for postseason play. We've seen it in all kinds of Sunbelt markets before, or other struggling areas where winning fixes everything, it seems. Let's move to... The Leafs, their sustained opponent. Success too, I would say sustained success is part of it. Like Carolina last yeah, year was a yeah. bit slower. They go on a run to the Eastern Conference Final, and this year they've, they've done a great job. Because sure. I think they've got people on board. Yeah, no, that makes sense. What would it, missing the playoffs mean for Toronto? Because uh, they are owned by a conglomerate of conglomerates. It's, it's not exactly the owner that you have to manage up to so much as a board of massive multi-billion dollar market cap companies. Yeah, it would be bad, you know, to, to to state it plainly. It would be a huge failure. I think there's no way to shy away from that with the expectation that the team carries and and with the way they've spent their money and and been quite aggressive and and even front loading contracts and those types of things. I mean, there's been a lot of money out the door on this team and and for a number of reasons it 
hasn't gone quite as well as they would have liked. And I do think that, that there's not necessarily repercussions in terms of a wave of firings. You know, we still have a general manager here and Kyle Dubas is just completing his second season. I think, you know, anyone looking at it would say he was thrown into a bit of a hornet's nest with the contracts he had to negotiate uh, right out of the gate. And, um, and uh, sorry, someone just came up to me and lost my train of thought there. But, uh, you know, and, and so I, I don't think that there's impatience on ownership yet with uh, the management, but, you know, it, it would be a bitter pill to swallow. And, um, you know, it, it's going to be fascinating. I think the market has become, as, as you might expect, it, it's, it's been quite volatile there with some of the losses the Leafs have had. It's not, it's not just they've lost games. They've either been beating one of the best teams in the league in the last two weeks, or they've been losing in very embarrassing, exaggerated fashion. So, um, you know, it's, it's been, there's the real kind of firestorm building around them, I guess I would say. And, mm-hmm. and I would think if they miss the playoffs, you're going to, everyone's going to be on trial on, on local radio and in the media and those types of things. No question. Uh, let's move to another big game in the standings. Calgary at Nashville tonight. That's six o'clock Calgary time. Our pregame gets started in 47 minutes. Uh, what have you seen from Nashville and Calgary? Cause I sure see a lot of parallels between clubs with high expectations that won their divisions last year, but here they are sitting in wild cards at the end of February. Well, a little inconsistency, uh, which it seems to be the theme here. But also, I think in Nashville's case, you know, I, I think that they, they might be pondering bigger questions. You know, they went and signed Matt Duchesne uh, last summer, and they've made a coaching change in season. And I, I just think that, that they they might reach a point where they have to really reconsider, you know, the way that, that they've built this team and, and look at some bigger changes if this doesn't uh, get on track there. And, and you know, look, goaltending has been part of their issues. Uh, it's never as simple as the goalie himself being being poor, but you know the if you look at Pecorine's performance, even UC Soros, it just hasn't been in line with what they could have come to expect in recent years. I think that's contributed to it, and and they've had a lot of swings of emotion. Uh, they've they've gone up and down uh, a whole bunch uh, during the season, and you know I, I would have no idea what to expect uh, out of that game because you know I think that the Calgary is is lived some of those same truths as well, and so um, you know it's it's a it's a tough one to kind of figure what what will happen in these next few weeks but but certainly in Nashville I think that with them taking some very consistent runs at trying to win a cup having spent a lot of money been after free agents I think that they have a, a really interesting offseason ahead yeah uh, I think either of these teams miss we're talking serious audit on the core for sure um there's been a notion around the Pacific Division that hey all you got to do is get in and you might be all the way to the Western Conference final if it happens to be an all Pacific opening round matchup between the one and the wild card. And I was subscribing to that theory, but watching the Vegas golden Knights in their last nine games or so, uh, I've come to think there might indeed still be a powerhouse in the Pacific. They have been great and uh, survived an early barrage from the Oilers last night before just absolutely blanketing them in the final 40. Where are you at on Vegas right now? Post trade deadline. Well, slumbering giant, I think, is the best way to put it. You know, if you look at some of their underlying numbers, even going back six, seven weeks, you know, they lead the league in expected goals, uh, shot attempts, those types of things. I mean, they, they've been excellent there. If anything, something that's held them back is the save percentage has been a bit low, and, and I, I think that that kind of fills in the gaps on, on why they went out and made a pretty big deal to bring Robin Leonard in at the deadline. And, and so uh, if that stabilizes, if if a tandem of Leonard and Fleury can – uh, you know, at least give them average goaltending. I'm with you. I think that they're a team uh, that that we could be talking about winning the Stanley Cup. Quite frankly, I think that there's a lot of good things happening there. 
And, you know, with Pete DeBoer, that that move seems to have worked, although you know, I'm not I'm not totally convinced if Gerard Gallant wasn't still the coach, you wouldn't be seeing some of the same things uh, mm-hmm. happening on the ice. But um, you know, I just see a deep team that uh, is performing at a high level. And, and, you know, I do think the goaltending thing is, it's not nothing. I mean, it's it, what what probably went unnoticed yesterday is that uh, the team's goaltending coach, Dave Pryor, uh, stepped aside from his job yesterday, you know, a couple of days after they made that big trade for Leonard. And, and so I, th- I think that, you know, just how they handle that situation, how it materializes uh, based on Mark Rondry Fleury's history. I mean, no one could have handled the, the Matt Murray situation where he basically, you know, came in as a very young goaltender and took the net from him in two straight years on the way to Pittsburgh, winning those cups in 2016 and 17. Uh, and no one could have handled that with more class than he did. So I would expect it would be the same if something similar played out in Vegas, but, you know, assuming they can get that in order, you know, to me that they're, uh, they're one of the teams to watch and one of the teams to beat in the Western Conference. Yeah, fair enough. You mentioned Gallant. Uh, what's what's next for him? I'm, I'm curious because he's owed money still. He could get in next year. He's been exactly through what Seattle is about to go through, and he's one of four incredibly high-profile coaching free agents, so to speak, heading into an offseason where there's probably five to six vacancies if you just count interims, expected firings, and that Seattle might pay to have a guy they want a year early. Yeah, I think that's definitely a possibility. I think that they, they would be unwise not to at least bring him in and pick his brain about what he learned and see if there's a fit there. Uh, you know, what, what makes the whole thing complicated though, is you're right. There's uh, we're talking about a ton of different choices, which isn't always the case for any team that's, that's going out and making that hiring. And I kind of wonder what those first few days after April 4th might bring, uh, especially if any teams change coaches, you know, right after the end of the regular season, teams that missed the playoffs, that is, if, if there'll be a bit of a run on trying to get uh, Bruce Boudreau or Peter Laviolette, what have you, to try to, to come in and coach a team because some of some of this will be competitive. And, and so, you know, it's, it's setting up for an interesting offseason, but Gerard Gallant definitely wants to work. He definitely wants to be back in the game. And, and I would think, given what he did in Florida, it was a brief time, but he helped turn around a team pretty quickly there that won a division. Uh, you know, coached their expansion team to the Stanley Cup final and, uh, you know, kind of had the rug pulled out from him in Vegas a little bit. You know, I think someone's going to take a, a run at him, as I do with Boudreaux, Laviolette, and even Mike Babcock, should Babcock decide to, to come back and coach. Walk us through the scenario that makes sense for Mike Babcock, his new employer, and the Toronto Maple Leafs, who are on the hook for massive amounts of money for the next three seasons. How does that play out? I don't imagine he nor the Leafs would allow a a deal that pays him, say, $2 million or less. That feels way under market for a top future Hall of Fame coach kind of guy. Well, I think what has to be worked out is what percentage of the salary gets paid by the new team and the Leafs. And, you know, even even with the, the money the Leafs have, I think it's in their best interest to have him at least have some of the, that salary be off the books. And so I don't think that they would create a big issue if someone tried to hire him, uh, if that's if the situation that was going on. Um, but I think for Mike Babcock, he's going to be pretty selective. And, and, you know, at this point in time, I'm still not convinced he's committed to coaching again. You know, I think he's been on a bit of a world tour here uh, since he lost his job in November and traveling around, spending time with his kids and his family and doing some interesting things that he can't typically do during the year. And he's getting paid still, you know, more than $6 million this year not to coach. And as you mentioned, if he chooses, it could be the same for the next three years beyond this. And, And so, you know, kind of instinctively, I want to say how competitive he is. He's going to be back at some point, but I think 
the ideal fit for him for the next team is, is a team that, that can win. You know, I think that he's got to be brought in with a group that's maybe just hasn't quite got across the finish line where his experience uh, will, will maybe get something different out of them. And, and for him, I mean, just his age and, you know, I think that, that I just don't see him signing up for another quote unquote rebuild, like he agreed to in Toronto where, you know, he helped help nurse the team to a certain point and didn't get to see it through. Uh, I, I think at this stage, it's got to be the right city, the right ownership, the right group. And then, uh, the money stuff, uh, I do think, won't be so complicated. He's going to be getting paid at least what he did in Toronto by someone else for those first few years, and at least he'll be picking up some of the tab. Man, see, I, everyone I think is into the idea of retirement. No one wants to work until they die, except maybe Steinberg, my co-host. But uh, we all I like that idea <laughs> of not working and doing the things. But then you're also you're like old, so it's like, well, I can't climb Everest anymore. I mean, that paid leave, that's good stuff. And then you go next level, like $6 million a year paid leave. If I'm Mike Babcock, what? no way am I going near coaching until you know at least some of this money starts running off the docket. Uh, go do some weird things. Go surf on some islands you'd never heard of. CJ, we need some of this $6 million a year paid leave. I would love to know some of the names of the countries he's hunting in because I know <laughs> uh, he, he did a crazy hunting trip somewhere in like Siberia. Jeez. Uzbekistan, I guess it was uh, at one point, and there's actually a video out there online. And so I bet he's doing all kinds of crazy stuff. You're right, the Leafs are funding it. And, you know, I think he's earned that. I mean, even the way things went down, I mean, that guy coached for 30 straight years, basically, Jeez. across a number of leagues. And, and, you know, he's never had time in November, December, January, February to do this kind of stuff uh, since his early 20s. Tell me you're not like a Steinberg, like you're not going to die in front of your computer while typing up an article for sportsnet.ca don't do that to us i don't think so is steinberg a workaholic is this what you're oh yeah no what? it's he's working it's just it doesn't stop and then it's like well you know doing writing an article here i got him doing this he's doing does two jobs at this station but on and on it goes it's uh try to get him out it's impossible so he's just work 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 and he said yeah you know that's what i'm gonna do and i told him you're gonna die working pat and he's like yeah i know yeah that's the plan there's better plans no, I'm not signing up for that, Pinder. The older I get, the more perspective I have. I'm, I'm thrilled to do this. I work hard, but uh, I've got some balance there. Well, hang in there in uh, in Sunrise or Fort Lauderdale or wherever you might sneak off to in the next little while. Thanks, man. Okay, we'll talk next week. Chris Johnston, brought to you by McLeod Trail Midas. Save some cash and skip the dealer. Bring your vehicle into McLeod Trail Midas, a full-service shop. Check out their Facebook page or schedule an appointment at Midas.com. Logie, uh... You worried about Steinberg? Like I'm worried about Steinberg. It sounds yeah, like I'm making fun of him, but I, I, I actually, I care. No, it's it's a legitimate thing. If there's like the back to back weekends of Flames games, he literally just goes and goes and does not stop. So here's a perfect example. Like on a Flames game day, he will be at the dome probably around from 10 a.m. until one or two in the morning if it's a later start. Yeah, same. and then he'll like come back and. Yeah do that again and do this show and then the day after do both again and uh hey tip your cap tip your cap to him tony laughed when i said i care about pat our intern i was like i'm not making fun of pat i, I care about him he's like <laughs> it's like a it's Pinder like a caring about pat a brotherly love right uh, like you know I, hey it's I, I do care about you but not enough to actually like physically drag you out and stop you from working well i mean he's got his priorities i can't get in the way um and i i will say this like it's uh you know i think what makes our show very interesting is that we aren't the same person that has the same priorities we were quite different and unique and individual snowflakes logan hey how tight a ship do we run around here 
Super tight. Yeah. So let me tell you about the sports drive at five. Can I do that for you? Uh, yeah, you sure. Wanna, you want to hear about, about the sports yeah. drive at five? Well, it comes every weekday at five. Except, at five, you say? Except when the Flames are playing in the central time zone, oh. and then it comes up at four. Okay. You're going to want to tune in and catch this program. I'm telling you, the sports drive at five. What a show. It's brought to you by Pete the Plumber, the superheroes of plumbing and heating. Call 403-257-1766 or PeteThePlumber.com for all your plumbing and heating needs. What's the what's the name of the show right now, given that Flames are in the central time zone? Uh, Sports Driver 5. Got it. We'll be back with more of that on Sports at 960 The Fan. Check out some seriously hot deals on skates, sticks, assorted pads, and more. Don't miss the midwinter hockey sale on now at Adrenaline Source for Sports, 90th and McLeod Trail South. Source for Sports. We know our stuff. Tune in Sunday mornings at 8 for sports interactions inside the lines. All the insider info on all the biggest games. Every Sunday morning on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Stunning new designs. Revolutionary technology. See it all at the 2020 Calgary International Auto and Truck Show. March 11th to 15th at the Vino Center. Enter to win a 2020 Volvo XC40 Momentum. The Calgary International Auto and Truck Show. Tickets available at autoshowcalgary.com. The hunt is on. City TV. Lincoln Rhyme. Forensic criminologist obsessed in his pursuit of a diabolical serial killer known only as the Bone Collector, a master criminal who has evaded justice. Based on the series of best-selling novels by Jeffrey Deaver, time is running out to find a nemesis and crack the case that almost killed him. Lincoln Rhyme, Hunt for the Bone Collector, Fridays, 8, 7 central on City TV. Sports Drive at 5, brought to you by Pete the Plumber, the superheroes of plumbing and heating. Call 403-257-1766 or find them at PeteThePlumber.com for all your plumbing and heating needs. All right, welcome back. Sports Drive at 5 Central. Sure, yeah. Hmm. The problem when you name the show after a time of the day, then the flames go out to a different time zone. Well, it doesn't matter when they go west. They go east, it screws everything up. Although it didn't, I mean, if screwing it up means I get off earlier and the Flames get a big win on the road, we can do Tuesday again, Logan. I got no problem with that. Take another Boston-esque Tuesday tonight in Nashville. I think they'd sign up for that. Here's what the Flames lineup is looking like for tonight. Uh, After one of their more thorough victories of the entire season, you wouldn't expect much in the way of change. And, of course, there isn't much in the way of change. Same lines, same pairings, same netminder with one exception. Yeah, you, you want Mark Giordano back? You, get, you can get Giordano back? Yeah, that'd, that'd be okay. If he goes, you, you move some people out. And, uh, well, a hearty salute to Michael Stone. He'd be the likely candidate to come out. He's played some big minutes in the absence of Hamannick and uh, Giordano over the last while. I'm looking back at it. It's it actually weathered quite the storm. So 10 games without Giordano and the club's 6-4. and four. Not bad. And it was just a f- how many games into the Giordano injury that they lost Hamannick? Let's see. Yeah, it was eight games without Hamannick, I guess, depending whether you include that Vancouver game or not that he got hurt in. So they've uh, they've treaded water. Now, it hasn't been a, a murderer's row of scheduling, but they've gotten business done. So good for them on that front. We'll see what they can do tonight. Nashville comes into play tonight. Uh, not far behind the Flames and... With games in hand, this could be a huge victory for the Predators who've been fighting an uphill battle for a while here. 
They've already changed coaches this year away from Laviolette, who got them to the cup final, bringing in John Hines. They are two points back of Calgary with two games in hand, meaning a regulation victory for the Predators would move them into a tie with the Flames in points and two extra games. So you best be taking care of business if you're the Calgary Flames, and while you can't control uh, how many points you get necessarily, you can control how hard you work. And we've seen this Flames Club come out flat after big, I guess, hurrah victories. And I would put Boston in that category when you go into the most difficult this building this season in the NHL and pick up two points. You hand Tukaraska's first regulation loss of the year on home ice. That's a big moment. They'll be fired up. The issue being, can they uh, put that celebration aside and be ready to work just as hard tonight against an improving Predators club that uh, has been a, a serious roller coaster this year, but has actually been putting together some of their best hockey of the season of late. Here's the uh, the recent form of the Predators. They have won five of their last seven, and of the two non-wins, won an overtime loss, meaning they picked up points in six of their last seven. They have 11 of a possible 14 and some decent work done in there. They won both halves of a home-and-home with the defending champion Blues, Feb 15 and 16, at St. Louis and against St. Louis, both in regulation. That's impressive. Uh, And they've beaten Columbus, who has not been an easy out of late. Uh, They also beat Ottawa, which is kind of like beating the Bakersfield Condors. I don't know that you deserve Mm. any credit for it, but the the points will count the same. Flames did beat Ottawa. Uh, They did lose one game to Ottawa this year. Yeah, that's right. I, I just wanted to throw this out here as far as Nashville. Just some look at the wild card. This one might actually be more important to them because there is no chance that they're climbing into the central. Right. Yeah. They're 10 points back. You know, for the Flames, at least you can lose this game and still say, well, look, even though we're fighting in the wild card, we still have a chance to get in the Pacific. That's yeah. not happening for Nashville or Winnipeg. And the other thing that we're seeing with the Flames is that the, the teams around them are running into some trouble. Now, not Vegas, but no. Arizona's been in the cooler. They can't seem to string wins together or score with any, uh, I guess, consistency. And you've seen significant injuries crop up in Edmonton and in Vancouver. Vancouver is without Besser likely the rest of the year. Markstrom, a while. They're going to reevaluate in two weeks, but could be at least a month there, you'd think, given that uh, he just had a procedure done a couple days ago. And we know that Levo and Furland are out for the year. That's a group that's... uh, they're under the stress test right now. And for the Oilers, some good news today. Kyler Yamamoto was on the ice. Ditto for Andreas Athanasiu. Boy, that's a tough name for that TV broadcast to say, hey? Like, he's yeah. been there two games. They're still trying to figure that out. Holy guys, come on. Like, get it once. Figure it out. It rhymes with happy to see you. Athanasiu. Not hard. Um, he's back on ice today as well. That was a, an interesting absence against Vegas last night. So uh, there you have it. That's sort of the uh, news and notes surrounding uh, what's going on with tonight's contest. With more on the pres- the Predators, the home team tonight for the Visiting Flames, and a group that can move into a tie with the Flames with games in hand, as we told you, Adam Vingen of The Athletic, all things Predators, when we come back. It's the Sports Drive at 5 Central on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Sports Drive at 5, brought to you by Pete the Plumber, the superheroes of plumbing and heating. Call 403-257-1766 or find them at PeteThePlumber.com for all your plumbing and heating needs. Who did this? Who is doing this? This is not fair. We invite a guest on to share time with us from Tennessee, and we're playing three doors down. Adam Vingen of uh, The Athletic covering the Preds. I'm sorry. This, is, this was not my idea. 
Well, to be fair, it wasn't kryptonite they were playing today. It was here without you. <laughs> they were blasting from the dressing room. So it was a good try. I appreciate uh, it. Well, I don't know if that's any better, is it? I mean, is kryptonite get a pass all of a sudden? I feel like you should have tweeted if they were playing kryptonite, too. Well, kryptonite is a bit more... It's a bit heavier than here without you, which is more of a power ballad. So, <laughs> minus points for that. Uh, Adam Vingan joining us from The Athletic in Nashville, Tennessee, side of the Flames and the Preds tonight. It's funny, Adam. We've, we're looking at this Flames club here and can't help but feel like if they've got some sort of a alternate universe club, a sister team of sorts, it would be the Nashville Predators because uh, the, these are teams that won the divisions last year, had very high expectations coming in, and are suddenly looking at their best players saying, what's going on here? Is that a fair depiction from your perspective on the Preds' season to this point? Yeah, I would say so. Um, When the Predators uh, defeated the Ottawa Senators the other night, uh, they entered a playoff spot for the first time since November 13th, and they needed the Arizona Coyotes to lose in regulation to the Florida Panthers for them to hold on to it until now. So... There really have been numerous issues with this team this year, similarly to what is happening in Calgary. The Predators' highest-paid players are underperforming. Um, goaltending, uh, while, up, while on the upswing recently, has largely been an issue this year. Um, I, I'm not sure where the Flames' special teams rank, but both of the, both of the Predators' uh, special teams units, I believe, are 26th or worse in the NHL. Um, so there's a, not a lot, there's not a lot going on, but despite all of that, they are in a wild card spot. Um, but this was not what was expected of them when the season began. They were expected to challenge for a third consecutive Central Division title that is out the window because they're not going to catch the teams in front of them: St. Louis, Dallas, and Colorado. So it's really wild card or bust for them at this point. And uh, while they've won two games in a row, they beat a Columbus team and an Ottawa team that were both basically AHL farm clubs. This is a, uh, a big game, as we know, not just for the standings, but to see if the Predators really have turned a proverbial corner. Yeah, and ditto for the Flames, who've started off a five-game road trip with back-to-back wins, including an impressive one in Boston. There sure are a lot of parallels. Another one has been both clubs changing coaches. Now, albeit very different reasons, on the ice for Nashville, off the ice for the Flames. How has the group looked under John Hines, who uh, replaced Peter Laviolette pretty quickly after his dismissal, on, believe, on January 6th. Yes, on January 6th in the evening. It was around 5.30-ish p.m. Central Time that the press release came out, and the following morning, John Hines was hired as the new head coach. And record-wise, it's been fine. I believe they're 12-8-1 under John Hines. I may be mistaken on that. Um, But the one major difference I've seen in this club is not necessarily something that you can quantify in statistical form. One of the issues that was plaguing this team throughout the first half of the season under Peter Laviolette and for a few games under John Hines was that they had this sort of defeatist attitude that as soon as something went wrong, you could feel the air coming out of the proverbial balloon on the bench. And players even admitted to that, that when things went, when they would go down a goal, or something wouldn't go their way, it would affect them mentally. John Hines, one of the first things he said when he introduced himself to the media here in Nashville uh, a month and a half ago was that he needed to change this team's mindset. And I think you're starting to see them be a bit more resilient. And, you know, for example, they did not play a good first period against Ottawa the other night. They were down 2-1 after one. And in previous games, 
you know, early in the season, if the same thing would have happened, you could have probably started writing the Predators lose game story. But they scored two power play goals in the second period to take the lead, and they clamped down from there, and they won the game. So if there's one major change I've noticed under John Hines, it seems that this group is more uh, willing to face adversity and, and fight it off versus bending under it. You had noted uh, 12, 8, and 1. Uh, ding, 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 dead on. A 595 nice. points percentage. Uh, you get to remain the beat writer. Good job. That was well done. Um, one of the things that right, confuses me when I look at these lines they've been running, how long, and maybe it's just you know my memory not being great, but I feel like we have seen seasons of Forsberg, Johansson, and Arvidsson and how dynamic they've been, and yet all three find themselves on different lines when did that change? How has it worked? And how much is there a pining or a clamoring for the reunited trio? Well, what's interesting is they actually started the season separated. Um, Peter Laviolette started the season with a line of Craig Smith, Brian Johansson, and Victor Arvidsson, and another, and another line of Philip Forsberg, Matthew Shane, and Mikhail Granlund. Um, the quote-unquote Jofa line, as they are known around here, the Schwarzberg, Johansson, Arvidsson line, has not been together that much this season. And when they have been together, they have been nowhere near as effective as they have been in previous years where you could argue they were the most effective or productive lines in the NHL. But, you know, the $8 million question, uh, if you're referring to the salaries of Ryan Johansson and Matthew Shane, is how these underperforming stars get going. You know, Philip Forsberg, Victor Arvidsson, they're also struggling. Um, you know, this team really has been carried by Roman Yossi, who is putting up incredible numbers, and if it weren't for John Carlson, would probably win the Norris Trophy. Um, his goaltending hasn't helped them out. You know, they missed Ryan Ellis for seven weeks. You know, he's, he's back, and, and you can tell right away just how much he means to this team. But those three forwards in particular, if you want to include Matthew Shane in there, you know, John Hines has, has not been afraid to draw a hard line with them in terms of limiting their ice time and giving the ice time to the players he feels are working the hardest. And that involves the, the line of Rocco Grimaldi, Nick Benino, and Greg Smith. The Kyle Granlund has seen his ice time balloon by, I think, more than two minutes per game since the coaching change. Kyle Turris, who was in the doghouse under Peter Lavulette, once scratched for seven consecutive games for no Ooh. conceivable reason, is also uh, playing uh, significantly better and getting more responsibility. So um, that isn't to say uh, that... The, the forwards that, you know, the Forsberg, Arvidsson, Johansson, Duchesne uh, group uh, deserves to have their ice time reduced. But um, the, the fine line that John Hines knows he has to walk is making sure he's holding those players accountable while also not hindering his team's chances of winning by limiting the ice time of his most offensively gifted player. Yeah, for sure. You can't withhold pay. It's pretty much the biggest carrot a coach can offer a player. But you're right, he's still got to win the games, and he's been in chase mode since he took over this job. The other thing that we've seen sort of swing in another direction, uh, we've seen a lot more UC Saros rather than Pekka Rinne of late. I believe tonight will mark his ninth appearance in the last 12 games. Give us uh, the play-by-play on how that's unfolded this year. Now, one is 37, the other in his mid-20s. It felt somewhat inev- inevitable, but at the same time, uh, the last three years have been really good for Rinne statistically. Yeah, it really started... It started around Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving. There was a stretch where, Pecker, excuse me, where UC Soros started three consecutive games for the Predators, and it was the first time that Pecorino had been dressed 
but did not start in at least three consecutive games since his rookie season. So it had been a very long time. Now, the most recent game the Predators played against Ottawa, Pekka did not dress because he was sick, uh, but he will dress tonight. The expectation, as you mentioned, is UC Soros is going to start. Um, the Pekka Arena got off to a tremendous start. I believe he was 8-0-2 to start the season while the Predators were playing very well. Honestly, if you want to talk about where this team's downward trajectory began, it was the Halloween game against the Flames. Huh. Where they blew the three-goal the, the three lead right. in the third period and lost in overtime. I mean, the, the Predators were rolling at that point of the season. Um, you know, that, that loss to the Flames uh, broke a four-game winning streak for the Predators, and they didn't win at least three consecutive games again until earlier this month. Uh, so a lot of this team's issues can be traced back to that one particular game. Um, but UC Saros, you know, also struggled this year, but has been playing really well as of late. You know, Pecorina has been playing better, too. The goaltending has been better under John Hines, but... It's sort of similarly to the uh, the forwards we were discussing, you know, UC Soros is the hot hand right now, and John Hines has been unafraid to ride it, despite understanding that you know the goalie who is not playing as much as you know the longest tenured professional athlete in Nashville and the franchise cornerstone in Pecorino. Uh Final one for you. It's been a, 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 a imagine a fun time to cover the the Preds over the last five years from missing the playoffs. You know, losing in round one, then on to the second round where they fall to the Sharks, who eventually go to the final. Then in the 16-17 season, they play against the Penguins in the Stanley Cup final. But where is the mood of this fan base after that? A second round loss to the Jets two seasons ago. Last year, hosted in the first round, upset by the Stars, and now fighting for their playoff lives. How would you characterize the fan base at this point? I would say, I would say it's a bit agitated, I, I think, um, just because the way their season played out last year. They, if it wasn't for, I think it was a 4-0-1 finish, perhaps, to the season, you know, they wouldn't have won the Central Division, and they did not look good in losing to the Dallas Stars in the first round last year. At no point did, you, did, at no point did it feel like the Predators really had, a, you know, had uh, an advantage in that series. Um, and there were calls for Peter Laviolette to be fired at the end of last year. Uh, it didn't happen. And as this team continued to struggle... Uh, those vo- those cries got louder. I think the 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 final nail in the coffin for Peter among a portion of the fan base was the loss in the Winter Classic, because because quite frankly the Predators for the second and third periods were embarrassed in that game. Um, but now that he's but now that he's been fired, a lot of attention in the fan base is turning to David Poyle. We know, they you know they know that David Poyle is the winningest general manager in NHL history, not just in the regular season, but when you combine his playoff wins as well but he's never won a Stanley Cup. And it was an interesting day here on Monday uh, because there were a lot of fans who wanted this team to sell off some unrestricted free agents, namely hmm. Mikhail Gramlin and Craig Smith, just because they don't have the confidence in this team that if they make it to the playoffs that they're going to do anything of substance. But David Boyle decided not to change too much. He made one minor trade for depth, you know, swapping depth defensemen with the Anaheim Ducks. And if this team misses the playoffs... Uh, you know, they're, they're the the uh, leash for David Poyle among the fan base will continue to tighten. Now, I personally believe that David Poyle's job security is similar to that of a Supreme Court justice. He's <laughs> going to have this job as long as he wants it. Um, but uh, there, once Peter was fired, a lot of the ire that was directed toward him by portions of the fan base turned to David. Yep, fair enough. And that's... Uh... 
People want heads on stakes. That's just the nature of being a fan in pro sports. Adam, thanks for your time on a game day. I do appreciate it. Great insights on the Preds. Enjoy tonight's contest. All right. Thank you. Inside Hockey, brought to you by Calgary Co-op. At Calgary Co-op, it pays to be a member. Earn money towards your annual member refund with every fill at your local Calgary Co-op gas station. All right, Adam Vingen joins us on the guest hotline for Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. Same secret recipe since 1975. Pick up or delivery, 403-248-3344. Or just stop by. 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Pat is back. He's taken off his toque. He's set down his jacket. Flames warm up with Lubardius and mere moments on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan.